overall, I still believe that Legacy very much has that kind of aspect, that it teaches you so many things about good gameplay. Any kind of competitive game, I think you can get such a huge edge by just utilizing and getting some equity out of just the very fact that your opponent is scared of you without ever doing anything but representing something. And I just love, love playing decks to do that. If I want to create something, put it out for an audience to see, and then hopefully gather their positive feedback and, and bring joy to them and see that I brought genuine joy to them. That's the biggest kind of joy I can get. I, I honestly think that's the biggest kind of joy I can get. And part of that you can find in like doing coverage. I absolutely love that. Everyday tournament, that's the big, big baby I have that I love so much that I want to do even more for. And I'm just so happy that we have such a great setup and so many great people supporting us. My guest this week is Julian Knob host of the Everyday Eternal podcast and creator of the Legacy Premier League. Julian streams Legacy gameplay at twitch.tv slash itsjulian. More importantly, Julian is a dear friend and inspiration. He's the one who recommended that I start the Humans of Magic podcast several years ago. I've lost track of how many conversations Julian and I have had over the years. This time, we decided to hit record as a way to conduct Julian's 2022 Year in Review. Without further ado, this is Humans of Magic with Julian Knob. All right, Julian, how are you, sir? Dude, I'm feeling fine. I just had sushi all you can eat. What could you wish for other than that? <laughs> what, what's your favorite? Uh, what's your favorite sushi? What's your favorite type of sushi to eat? Uh, I, I would say if it's like done really well, like some kind of like nigiri with salmon, that's just like the best thing ever. And I gotta admit, I like the inside out maki, like the so-called California rose. And my, my co-host Kai, I'm so sorry. He's going to give me so much shit for it. He, every time he comes up, he tells me this is not sushi, but yeah, I, I like like really good salmon nigiri. And I also like any kind of inside out roll. I've heard that the California roll might actually be invented in Canada or North America. Like it's, <laughs> I, that's something like that. I don't know. Yeah, basically, it's all about like either who who's the first to actually claim the name, or somebody else picked it up and gave it a, like a super exotic name, so it, like it get, gets that kind of feel, you know. And people are like, "Oh, okay, I'm gonna try that if this is like from that place." And it actually, is from a totally different place, like all local. So maybe that's how okay. it came about. I so maybe no it was invented in Africa, and then they said, "Oh, what's the most exotic place? Let's call it California." <laughs> California. Like that. Did you know yeah. that sushi in, in Japan, they actually didn't use salmon for like the longest of times. Like nobody in Japan ever used salmon for sushi until a Norwegian salmon company. They basically came up with the idea, you know what, what if we like export sushi to, if we export salmon to, to Japan and only then, like, I want to say like 80 years ago or something, it actually caught on. Really? No, everybody so it's only, about it's only like in the last decade that salmon was becoming, became in the more last mainstream, century. you're saying? Oh, in the last century. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. But you know, sushi like, goes, back, goes way back, but nobody ever used salmon. Okay. Anyhow, so for those <laughs> who may not know, uh, I've got Julian Knob in the house. Uh, Julian, do you want to give a little bit of self? You want to give a little intro about yourself? Yeah. So I'm Julian Knob from Munich, 37 years old. And if you know me and if you're watching Humans of Magic, chances are you know me for my legacy content, right? Whether that's uh, as a host and producer of the Everyday Eternal podcast. Uh, or somebody who ran four seasons of the Legacy Premier League, somebody who, during my super competitive days, I want to say made a name for myself as a player in Europe, and, and well, maybe not so much for the world, even though I played there as well, but that's the magic side of things. 
if you watch this because you have an interest in me, you probably know me as either a very good friend, longtime friend, maybe a football coach, <laughs> maybe you're the guy who sold you a safari. That's that's one of the, the biggest things for me during the last 10 years. Uh, I'm very, very big in the safari business, East Africa, Kenya and stuff. So I want to say those are probably like one of the main ways that you know me. And those are probably like the main things that I would describe myself by by now. Yes. And I think you're still quite known for actually playing Magic, right? If I'm not mistaken, you've actually done quite well in, I mean, this is kind of a two, 2022, but I mean, you've done pretty <laughs> well in terms of finishes in 2022, right? Well, online mostly, right? Uh, the I mean, that's real magic right there. So. <laughs> that's the one that counts. Yeah, that's so much harder, I guess. Yeah, uh, I, I I think I got second. I got run up in one of the most recent Legacy Challenges. And then I also got another top eight in those. And I think I also played like in the, yeah, I got seven and three at Four Seasons Bologna. But biggest, biggest Legacy Tournament of the year. Shout out to, to the whole uh, Four Seasons crew in Bologna. Amazing times. But yeah, that's... I, I'm st I still like that, right? And I guess we'll talk about that in a moment. But I, there used to be a time from 2013-14 up until 2018 where I was insanely competitive. I literally, at the beginning of the year, I printed out a calendar and I filled it out with all the big legacy events in Europe and sometimes even in the US or I went to China twice um, to, to visit you and, and play the Olaf. And that was for four or five years, that was my life. And I basically topped all the European rankings for that kind of stuff and got, uh, still, I guess, cause still got a couple of those records. But that was my life. But that's not that's not why I'm in anymore. So now if I play like a Legacy Challenge and I got a top eight or a top two or something or win one, that's amazing. But then again, <laughs> I would need you to bring it up to even think about it. <laughs> and I know you've played lots of different decks in Legacy over the years. And also you stream Legacies and you do videos and lots of things and commentary, as you, as you had mentioned. But... In those finishes this year for online, what what did you play? Did you play elves did you, or something else? Uh, this year, for at least the second half of the year, it was almost exclusively painter. That's the one deck. Callum Smith, my co-host in Everyday Channel, he alerted me to it. He, he had already been playing it for even longer, and he had so many good things to say about it. And I loved watching it, and I loved like all the intricacies of of the deck. And at some point, you know, this summer, you you know how you sometimes talk about, oh, I would love to do this. I would love to do this, and then you never do it. And for Painter, it was just like, okay, let's download the list, let's start playing. And then I kept playing, and I absolutely fell in love with the deck, and this is this is where we ended. I just today ordered the last cards I need for the deck. I never thought I'd have a Legacy Paper deck again, because I basically sold everything in 2017-18. And then relied on other people to borrow decks to play in tournaments. But I loved this deck so much uh, that I ended up buying it in Paper again, which is... I would not have expect, expected myself to buy a Legacy Paper deck ever again, especially now that the proxy movement is so big in Europe, which I guess goes towards, like, without all those big events that we have, I would not never even have thought about, like, rebuying a Paper Legacy deck because the scene was kind of, like... I don't want to say dying, but not in its best shape. And now that we've basically revitalized everything, oh, look at this, now I have a Paper deck again. Is it relatively affordable, the Painter deck on Paper? Yeah, compared to other legacy decks, for sure, for sure. Like this was maybe a thousand and then something, thousand five hundred, which is also like the very upper end of what I would have wanted to spend. So it's kind of cool that those two things came together. And the funniest thing to me is like red is my least favorite color. And I know that sounds very casual, right? If you're like kind of, oh, I don't like red. Like no, it's just like I never liked the red playstyle. Like tap out main phase and then random stuff, and it's like not not cool. But Painter found a way to really like have all these super tiny, small little edges that the opponent doesn't see coming. And I guess there's a theme, right? Because if you know me for longer, I, I used to be, and I guess still am, super involved with like Legacy Elves. And that's that's for a long time. So I think the, I was like the first guy you would ever think about when it came to that deck. And 
pay elves is this very very same way like you have all these small little advantages that you can grind out but you also have the potential to turn two kill or turn three kill uh, well, with both decks and yeah painter does the same I, i've killed people painter on turn two or people have to respect the turn two kill and then you grind them out in the long run that's just so amazing about the deck and i love play you know i love playing with the fear of my opponent that's just like whether it comes to poker or starcraft or any kind of competitive game i think you can get such a huge edge by just utilizing and 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 getting some equity out of the just the very fact that your opponent is scared of you without ever doing anything but representing something and I just love, love playing decks to do that. That's also, by the way, why I, I think control decks, why I very much look down on control decks because they can't really do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to, I just want to interject here. So for those who may not know, like if you've only followed Julian for his content or even while he's streaming, he can come off. It's weird talking to you about you in the third person. Yeah, go he ahead. Can come off can as, as pretty jovial and like fun, but I've seen you play competitive <laughs> magic. And you just turn into this completely different person. You turn into this stone cold killer and you've taught me so much about mindset over the years. Just, you know, the whole, we've had so many conversations cause you know, we're pretty good friends. So we've had so many conversations about playing to win and not making bullshit excuses and, you know, just so many different things I've picked up from you over the years when it comes to playing magic and playing to win that I think people sometimes may underestimate that aspect of you because like when you play you are a different person right it's so funny you say that the first time somebody ever said that to me was in 2018 which is basically the tail end of my of my super competitive career that was when i won um hamburg and one of my opponents later on like we were friends he told me that like dude like playing against you is just like such a different experience like this is <laughs> i'm super scared because i think the guy told me you come to the table fully expecting to crush me and then even i start to believe that you will crush me <laughs> like that that kind of confidence is, is something that honestly i'm not even sure if i have that all that much like in, in anything outside of magic but in magic i told you right james it's just when i sit down and i feel comfortable with my deck i think the worst thing that can happen is i get unlucky and then i might lose but if i don't get unlucky and i play well i will probably win but i mean that doesn't account for I could make mistakes, right? You you still make mistakes. And that's why I I'm sometimes like to phrase it. I'm happy when I make mistakes, like on Magic Online, when it doesn't really count, at least like in League and stuff, or when I stream something. Because if you if you internalize the mistake and you understand what went wrong, like for example, you're in a situation and you feel like, oh, I could attack for the win here, or I could like grind some more advantage. And maybe I can get punished here if I attack, but I really don't know how I would get punished here. And then you attack and you get punished and you learn that. And then you counter that in a tournament and like, holy shit, you just like, you leveled up so much beyond anything. And once you acquire, I feel like a certain, a certain confidence where I feel like nothing can shake me because I've seen all the iterations of the matrix and all the scenarios, like you, what's his name? Dr. Doom or something. I don't know. I'm, I'm very bad with Marvel. <laughs> I don't watch uh, any Marvel movies. So I, that's I, way beyond me too. Awesome. So. High five. Cool. And yeah. so I, I, I basically, when I feel like I can see all the scenarios that could, could exist and then it's, so, it's like you have a map, right? You can still get lost because there's like a thunderstorm coming. You, you can't really account for that. But other than that, you're super well prepared. And that's, I think that creates an insane amount of confidence in the way I play paper. And that I guess also comes across, I don't, I don't think as cocky, but it's very intimidating. A lot of people have told me and I, I never I've, really thought I've about never, that. I've never, I've never gotten the cocky vibe from you. It's always just like, you're just very only serious. In politics, like, right? and there's, <laughs> <laughs> yes, only in, uh, only in other topics maybe, but, but yeah, it's just like, you're, you're just so, 
you're just very serious. I think you are like the the quintessential Spike archetype of Magic player. And I also want to know, like, so when you're picking up a deck, I don't know how if you've been playing Painter before, but like, how do you how do you get to learn all the interactions? Because it's quite a complex deck to master, right? Mm, I think a lot of the basic interactions, or even like the somewhat more advanced interactions, you already picked up playing against Painter. Like you, you've you've mm -hmm. seen the the deck on the other side of the board, and that already gets you to a certain level. And then once you start playing it, I think the most important thing is what I would like to call the dynamics of matchups, right? Uh, where you feel like, oh, it, it, can I afford to lose some tempo here? Or can I afford to like, take a risk here? How, what are the scenarios where I get punished, uh, et cetera? I think that's the, the major stuff you learn. Uh, but that's almost in the, in the sense of strategy. Like if you, if you develop strategies for the different matchups, that really only comes by either somebody teaching you that, but then you still have to experience it to, to believe it. And because maybe your teacher was also like a little bit off. Um, thankfully for me, not. I learned, I learned a lot of Callum Smith. And he also wrote what's, what I want to call is the Painter Bible. We still haven't properly released it yet, even though it floats around on various discards. I told him, we, we, or he, not we, <laughs> have to release it. And that taught me a lot. But I think when it comes to a lot of small stuff, I even sometimes pick up stuff and show it to other players. And sometimes they know it, sometimes they don't know it. And I think that's the beauty of Painter, where you, you play and you still pick up small stuff. And if it's new to you and if it's new to other Painter players, chances are it's going to be completely like out of the blue for your opponent and they might get blown out. And I think especially in a format like Legacy, if you have something that's instant-based, that doesn't have to be an instant, can also be like activated abilities or anything. But if you have anything that blows out your opponent's game plan at, at, at non-sorcery speeds, is that allows you to get a really, really big advantage. And that's painter to me, and I just love it so much. Excellent. Excellent. So do you want to talk a bit about your co-hosts, uh, Callum and uh, Kai Savatari? Like, I, I think yeah. this is a new lineup you... that We might be jumping into kind of the... Um, the the content side but I, can you talk a bit about maybe mm -hmm. the evolution of everyday eternal this year for for you yeah, because you're yeah. kind of the headmaster of it right well i i'm the producer that's basically how, how i i say like executive producer even though i guess i'm the only producer but other than that i'm just one of the the co-hosts so i think to to have a very quick roundup everyday eternal was started in 2013 uh, I was invited as a guest, like every now and then. Then I immediately, at some point, I took it over when the original hosts they they went on to other things, and then we were that kind of podcast who would like release I don't know a couple of episodes a year, like really not all that much, all that many. And then back in I want to say 2019 or 18, uh, Bob Wang, who's now on the Elo Pontas podcast, he was like, you know what, we should really be like a lot more serious about this. Like, let's actually make this a bi bi monthly thing. And ever since. Like two or three exceptions for the last four years, we have released two episodes every month, and we've gone through a couple of hosts. We had Eric Lenton as well, and uh, he's not really involved with magic anymore, other than sometimes you know crushing the leaks. <laughs> and yeah, Bob eventually joined the Elo Pantas pod podcast with Anurag Des. And yeah, we Callum and I, we were like kind of drifting around. Uh, we I think we we make for a really good do. A lot of people told us that, but it still it felt like you know. There's this other guy that we want. And we had Kai Zavatari on the podcast, I think, once or twice. And ever since Callum and I were talking, we said, you know what, we should actually get Kai on the podcast as, a, as, like a, as an actual host. And back then, he was still based in Tokyo. That was like the, the end of last year. And I, I agreed. We want, I wanted to have Kai on, but then Kai like, announced that he was moving and we, like, I was busy doing other stuff and stuff. So we, we like, put it off asking him. 
And then at some point, I felt like in the beginning of 2022, I felt like, dude, if Kai is moving to Europe, which makes him like, puts him in a better time zone for basically European and American podcasts, I was like, there's actually a tiny bit of feeling inside me some other podcast might snatch him. You know what? <laughs> I want the guy on my podcast because Kai is amazing. Kai is absolutely amazing. So yeah, we, we invited Kai to be a, uh, become a co-host and Kai joined us. And ever since that's part of it is, I guess, that we, we are very experienced now in how we run the podcast and how we structure it and, and how we do things, which made it better. But the other part is also that Kai is such a perfect fit. Kai is just like, you know, so happy-go-lucky. He's, but also like a very, very brutal player. Like he's one of the best Doomsday players in Legacy in the world right now. And I think that somebody put together numbers. I think he had the, was in the top 10 of win percentage of Legacy players in the last year or something and, and Legacy challenges. And uh, so that goes to say that Kai knows what he's doing. And you rarely get that, that somebody is like really good at the game, but also very well-spoken and just like all around like likable. And yeah, that's that's what Kai is, and that's why we wanted to get Kai on board. And ever since that's that's the best setup we've ever had, and it works so well. And yeah, I, I'm just like I couldn't be happier for that. Um, every day, eternal for all I do, like I almost feel bad taking credit for Legacy Premier League because it's been three years ever since we ran a season. Uh, and also, streaming is something I do like once or twice a month by now. But every day, eternal that's the big, big baby I have that I love so much that I want to do even more for. And I'm just so happy that we have such a great setup and so many great people supporting us. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you also have quite a quite a quite a good community around the podcast, right? <laughs> like in terms of a Discord or people giving you feedback. Like we're always talking about even before this recording about the the wonderful and sometimes weird feedback that people have given you, right? <laughs> yeah, like yeah. The whole, um, the whole the whole team, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's that's also another big thing to me. Uh, I. I probably said this every time I talk about the podcast, but I love that we have an actual Discord going, like an actual Discord where people hang out, talk about their stuff, uh, share some stuff. And not like, I've, I'm in some Discords, not everyone's like that, but I'm in some Discords where it feels like, I always say it like in, when, when you watch like a Wild West TV series and there's like this bush weed like tumbling around the desert and nothing mm -hmm. is happening. And that's that's another big thing to me. And also like when you go to tournaments like four season, that, that's one of the biggest things that ever happened to me this year. And you meet so many people who love the podcast. And literally, I think every other round, my opponents told me, oh, dude, this is amazing. Like, th thank you so much. And even happens in Magic Online, literally all the time. I want to say like every third match I play on Magic Online, somebody's like, I love your content so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And so, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's still amazing. Like it used to be amazing when people told me they picked up elves because they watched my streams playing elves. But it's just as amazing when people tell me that they love Everyday Channel. For, you know, such a long time, it was one of the tertiary, like, one, one of the back projects I did. It, it, something I did every once in a while, but it wasn't, like, never my big thing. But now it's bigger than me as a player, I want to say. Like, it, not that I was bigger, but I, I guess the better way to phrase it now, it's more important to me than my competitive playing. Uh, that Not me as a player, but my competitive, you know, drive is not as big as my drive to to see everyday tournament thrive and that's amazing yeah i mean I, I i'm kind of in the same category as you right in terms of content it feels like i mean i've never reached the same heights that you and others have in terms of playing magic but it just seems to me like there's limits to what you can do when you're playing magic for yourself right because at the end of the day uh maybe you can share your deck tech or your strategies or inspire people i'm not discounting that but even if you get to a level of, I don't know, like uh, Paulo, Vit Paulo Vitor, Damo de Rosa or something, at the end of the day, like people admire you and people are kind of 
you know, maybe they're subscribing to your Patreon to get strategy and things like that, but it they may not have the same impact as if Paulo or PV just did a podcast so people could listen to his thoughts on a regular basis. And I feel like you're you're doing that with Everyday Eternal, not only com- uh, knowledge and insights coming from you, but the fact that you have two other people who are doing it, it's basically like 3Xing uh, the collective knowledge into the world of legacy and... Uh, I guess legacy wisdom, right? Because they're they're not, now that now it's not just learning from you, but people will also run into Callum and be like, "Oh, I love Everyday Eternal." They also run into Kai. I love Everyday Eternal, and you're all bringing different perspectives. So I think that's the beauty of having like a team, and also the beauty of like doing something other than just playing Magic for yourself. I mean, I'm not nothing against people who are just grinding Magic, but it's like I guess they're also contributing to Magic by placing well and then mm-hmm. people take what they have right so i guess i guess it's kind of it doesn't matter it depends on what you do with what you're doing so i think at the end to you as the creator what matters the most is you have to figure out whether you want to be education like there, there's almost like a spectrum between i want to say educational and entertainment and i think a lot of good very good like much better legacy or magic players than i am they they think that they're they want to be educa- educators and they, they kind of leave the entertainment um, aspect behind of it. And they they feel like, oh, if I'm very good and I do very good content, then I should be entitled to, to getting more viewers or more people talking about me or being mm-hmm. thankful. And maybe not so much now, but I think for, for quite some years, that was the vibe, especially in Legacy, where, where people were like, oh, I don't have to be like entertaining. And I mean, it's not like a conscious choice that somebody would be like, oh, I'm trying to be as least entertaining as I am. But I also mm-hmm. wouldn't, like, if you just become aware that if you're, I think if you're perfectly honest, most of us, whether we follow our like favorite sport or legacy or any kind of hobby, we do it a little bit more for the entertainment side of things than most people probably are aware of. Like, I don't know, I'm really into football. I love football. And when I watch football, I don't watch football to figure out oh, what's the best strategy. I mean, it's it's part of the, the mind game, right? And also, like, why it's cool to, like, watch chess and stuff. But in the end, it's entertainment. And just, like, keeping your head busy by trying to figure out something and then somebody shows you a much better play, that's that's entertaining in a way. And I think we you do better if you if you try to prioritize the, the entertainment aspect and then, you know, fill up that... that that entity that created this entertaining ship with like really cool stuff that people care about in terms of competitive play, if that's your thing. Like there's other podcasts I would guess they do, maybe they do completely casual EDH, like not competitive EDH. And that's that's the other content you can fill up. But I think the the vessel, the the ship, whatever you use to get something across should be entertaining. Uh otherwise it's it's probably not gonna really thrive. I mean it's I always talk about this in the sense of like that sometimes there's other people who I guess they make it their thing to be as boring as possible and just like, like, <laughs> no, it's, it, it's like, I think if you, you can pull off a lot of things if you consciously do them and you do them right. Like, I think we talked, I talked about this maybe on another podcast episode where I talked about, hey, I think it's better if you're just like friendly to people and if you're like, you, you can still have like mean stuff, but if you, if you still have like an, friendly demeanor and you mean it and stuff that's cool because if you're genuine i guess if yeah that's the most that's the most important thing like if you're authentic 
And then there's like this other approach that that some streamers made a thing, like not magic even, like in the grand scheme of things, where they're like as mean and as loud and it's like way over the top. And that's their thing. And that's what they like, that's what they optimize for. And that gets you a different kind of like audience. Uh, but when it comes to like entertainment versus like educational, I think there's very little audience that really wants the hardcore educational part of it. Uh, I guess that really only works in, in, in games where it's like, much less of our you know variance factor like magic how do you balance that because obviously you're very well aware of that is it do you see it as a as a spectrum where it's like it's it's a it's a dial that that's between the two or do you think of them as like two different quantities that you're just trying to adjust them individually mm, that's actually a good question i i i would say it's probably you're, you're actually right it's more like it's more like a graph right you you can pick like you, you, how much you want to emphasize that but i still believe that's okay so here's the thing I, I believe you could technically maximize both and get to the very top right but i think that's hard as fuck i think it's really really hard to be insanely educational while still maintaining a like a very entertaining level i think that's something that some people do not like in, in the grand scheme of things i think you can do that but that's really really hard because you you really challenge your audience to to like start thinking a lot deeper than they might and if you can do that, and I think there's, there's like great commentators. That's, that's also like, I guess, why you often have uh, some like commentator dues, one who's like a little bit more educational and one who's like there for, for like, you know, what do they say, like um, color commentary and, and the other thing. I think that's a good way to balance it. Uh, and that's... You mean like a play-by-play, -play, a more play -play factual and commentator? commentator. Yeah, and then there's yeah. also a color one who's color commentator who's just kind of, it's maybe a bit more random or just com just coming up with different different angles right yeah i don't know and uh yeah that's that's basically what i'm trying to do with the podcast and i think that's what what callum and, and kai see in the podcast as well is we we want like we, primarily we want to be three dudes who happen to know a lot about legacy who just hang out and have a great time and basically talk to like sometimes when we when we get into the episode and we get into our like recording setup we, we would talk for like 20 minutes about legacy and, and uh, at some point I'm like, Dude, guys, we, we should have just like started recording because this is exactly what we want, right? And it happens er more and more often that I would literally just like start recording and then just, you know, start the podcast at some point because that's exactly what we are. Like we, we want to be three dudes who are as authentic as they are because that's always like, whether it's in magic or in life or in love or whatever, I, I value authenticity so incredibly high. It's It's when I watch something, and I feel like the person is being authentic. Uh, I can even like appreciate it or not appreciate it. I can, I can make do if they say something I don't agree with, as long as I feel that they genuinely feel that way. It Whereas came from you, them. It's not yeah. like they're just taking some existing viewpoint that they read about on the internet and just copied it. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah that, that's the worst. Seriously, that's the worst. Like yeah. when you talk to somebody, whether it's like, whether it's magic, whether it's politics, whether it's economics, and you literally talk to someone and you, you already know what they're going to say because they, it feels like they're just like rehashing something that everybody says. And you feel like, oh, I, I could not like, try to go deep on this, but I, I know we're already like, we already hit rock bottom of how deep you think about this. Uh, I just lose interest. But and that's that's the same in, in any kind of thing. If somebody's not authentic, I literally just lose interest. That's just it's it's a quality I value incredibly highly. And I guess that goes back to why I love having Callum and Kai on as as co-hosts on the podcast. Uh, that's yeah. That's Do you think that you can you can work on these sorts of uh, let's just call it a graph, like like the the uh, entertainment 
educational axes of this graph. Do you think you can work on it mm -hmm. for any magic format or any topic? Because I'll preface this to say that you're operating within the legacy format. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you can also just, for the listeners or for the viewers, like, what is your view about that in terms of like, what sorts of expectations do people have or audiences have who are legacy players about entertainment versus because, you know, I, I'm, what I'm trying to imply is that legacy is not commander. Legacy is not standard, right? Legacy is not a a pro tour format. So what is legacy and what does it mean? How do you calibrate your content for that very special circumstance? It's funny you asked that. Somebody recently asked me that, um, what, what is legacy on Reddit? And I literally linked to an article you wrote like almost 10 years ago about why we play legacy. I, I believe I still have it up on studio.com. One of my most watched videos of all time on my YouTube channel is actually a video of me describing what legacy is about. That was from two years ago. Uh, I mean, it has changed ever since a little bit, but it, uh, the core thing still remains. And I feel like the, the thing that makes legacy distinct is that you, or at least what it used to be, I guess that's, that's one of the biggest issues that we were facing uh, or have been facing for the last couple of years. Legacy used to be the thing. You could master legacy. You could get really, really deep into legacy. And part of that is an insane amount of knowledge, like knowledge, how different decks works, knowledge about strategies and matchups. It's, it's almost like a, like a game with, let's say, 20 or 30 factions, whereas in standard, you used to have like four or five factions. And you, you can become a lot of a, a lot more knowledgeable quicker in, in, let's say, standard. That's also, I guess, part of why it rotates without like taking the economic factor into account. Uh, whereas in legacy, you can learn for, for many, many years, and then that knowledge is going to be worth something. And if you walk away from legacy for a year or, or, yeah, let's say a year, and you come back, it used to be that you, after like a little bit of catch-up time, already used to be very, very competitive again and already had like a huge edge even over people who, who might have been playing for a while but have never reached your level. And I think a lot of people really, really like that aspect because especially once Legacy got a, you know, a little bit more expensive and it was like a lot of older cards. So the audience, generally the audience of Legacy is a little bit older than let's say of Modern or Pioneer or Standard, I would guess. Like, I'm pretty sure like data would back that up if, if we got that from Wizards. And now legacy has changed a little bit in the sense that during the last couple of years you know it got more dynamic we talk about fire and stuff and people really didn't like that all that much i i'm at least that's been my impression but overall i still believe that legacy very much has that kind of aspect that it teaches you so many things about good gameplay i mean shout outs to vintage but i think vintage is a little bit more procedural a little bit more tactical than legacy uh i think legacy strategy still matters a lot more than than it but I can't say it, it matters a lot more than Vintage because I don't know enough about Vintage to confidently make the claim. But I, my, if you ask me, my, my genuine take is I believe Legacy is more strategic than Vintage. And that's where it sits like, and that's why people enjoy it so much. And yeah, that's, that's what Legacy is to me. And I think also to a lot of our audience who maybe didn't really get to play all that much, especially during the last couple of years, and then projecting a positive outlook on things and, and just like, not, for example, like something we try to avoid is constantly talking about bands. I mean, if it's if it's a topic, we talk about it. But other than that, we I think we, we kind of try to like avoid it. We don't actively go out of our way, but I think that's just like nothing to be said. I'm also like a not very, I'm not very big a fan of, of like unbanned episodes, even though shout out to the Discord for the last couple of days, they've been talking about unbands. <laughs> but I, I just, 
I think a realization is you, you, you know that your audience treats it as entertainment and maybe not even their number one hobby. Like a lot of our biggest supporters on, on the Patreon, for example, I know that a lot of them, they don't play nearly as much legacy as, let's say, uh, other supporters or people who just like listen to the podcast. But I, I kind of want to create, or hopefully we have created this this place where you go if you love legacy and you want to hang out with other people who play legacy and just stay, stay up to speed with what's going on in the format. Because I think that's also another service that we, we provide that you can feel in touch with the format and the cards that you love even though maybe you have a family now, maybe, you know, you moved somewhere else, but there's no legacy, you can still stay in touch with your hobby. Because in, in a way, I mean, we, I guess we are both some of the greatest examples of that. You, you invited me to go to China and everything, right? Legacy is a global community. And I feel like in almost any country, or let's say half of the countries in the world, I would probably like, through somebody else, at least know one person who plays Legacy, who, who I could meet and... Uh, <laughs> It's it's amazing, dude. It's it's one of the things that has the biggest has made the biggest impact in my life ever, and I I want to keep it that way. Another way for me to ask the question is: Do you think legacy is a casual format? Mm, yeah, well, um, it depends. Uh, people try to like paint it. It's in a kind of weird hybrid or juxtaposed position, right? Yeah, know. what what makes something a casual format? Like there there's this like aspect of like competitive versus casual in the sense of uh some people would say, Oh, it's it's doesn't feed you into the Pro Tour uh or like worlds or something, so it's it's a casual format. Uh others would say, Oh, it's it's you know, there's only really like two or three decks that you can play that are the very best decks, so it's a casual format. Um I don't I don't care so much about that distinction. I feel like it it's not so much about whether it's casual or competitive, because I think the vast majority of people who play Legacy probably do it in a very casual way, meaning in the sense that they they don't play on Magic Online to get better. I mean, we also play Magic Online just like because it's fun, but I mean, I can imagine more fun games than Magic Online. So so the getting better aspect and like even earning money on Magic Online is, is a factor. But overall, I think that's true for most formats. Like, I, I I think I once said when people told me, oh, Legacy is a casual format and, and stuff like standard is competitive. Back when we had Grand Prix, I think if you went to a Grand Prix and you analyze the player base, let's say there's a Grand Prix that has 2,000 players. How many of those 2,000 players are really there because they want to qualify for the Pro Tour? Maybe, I don't know, 10%, 15%? I don't know. Or you even really have a shot, right? I think some people are just happy to participate. <laughs> I guess that's another thing, right? But what, what, what I'm saying is, the vast majority in any kind of format doesn't have that aspect of trying to take it to the very top, which would, to me, would then mean, okay, we are casuals, we do it as a hobby. But inside your hobby, I guess you can still be competitive. That's, that's I guess, mm -hmm. the, the restriction you put upon yourself is, oh, I don't want to invest as much time as it would take to, to make it to the top. But yeah, I think most players are casual, and I'm I'm not super... I don't feel great about like the distinction between casual and competitive because I think at the core, even in tournaments, a lot of people are just like casual players. Yeah. I guess it's always problematic to talk about a format as this sort of dichotomy. Is it casual or is it not? I think, I think this is just my view, right? I think the reality is that every format is casual. Like every <laughs> format, someone's going to play it for fun or just not really give a fuck and just play because they love playing because magic is a hobby. So everything traces to magic being a hobby, right? Whether it's commander, standard, arena, 
legacy, whatever. But then formats can turn into these modes where if there's something to qualify for, well, then now legacy becomes competitive because you're playing it at a, at a big event that you're trying to qualify or pioneer becomes competitive because it's PTQs or, or it's the format actually in the, in worlds Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Right. So I feel like there's almost a kind of, just in my view, kind of a false dichotomy. It's like, you can't really label a format as just being this because it changes based on the setting and what event it's being played in. So like, there's always going to be people that are just going to look at like, I'm going to play maybe like you, like every legacy game I play, I'm trying to crush. I'm trying to play a tier deck. Actually, that's not you because you're streaming and you do, you do play different kinds of decks. So that's, that's a bad example, but there's people that are always try harding and there's people that are always just like, I want to have fun. And that's going to exist no matter what format, even if you're playing commanders, people who are trying to win, I guess that's called CDH. No, um, don't get me started, uh, but <laughs> I, yeah, I know. I know. I, I could do a whole compilation of like, just <laughs> me or my guest going off on EDH and CDH in a not positive way. I thought of actually doing a <laughs> compilation on that. I just had one recently with BDM where he, we just basically went in on commander and like, what the F is rule zero and all this stuff. Um, anyways, uh, you huge tangent aside. Under the new Elish Norn. Here we go. <laughs> uh, I, okay. So, uh, I will do an episode with Sheldon memory oh, memory do? and we, awesome. no, I, I haven't recorded yet, but we're planning to do one and we will get to the bottom of this, uh, in a more, let's say detailed fashion. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I guess I'm not afraid to go into the, <laughs> the controversy as well. Right. But. But anyway, here's a tangent aside from me. I do think that legacy is what you make it out to be. Um, but having said all that, I want to know your views on like this infiltration of commander. I'll just mm-hmm. ask you straight up, like into formats, evergreen, eternal formats like legacy. Because uh, this year it was what? Mono white stompy. I, it kind of started with true name nemesis a few years ago, right? And it, it just, and, and flusterstorm and it never, it never stopped. So this plus fire, like, how do you feel about this whole thing? Is it just a sign of the times or do you have any personal feelings about that? So overall, um, we actually talked about this on the discord the other day and something I really don't care about. And I guess it's part of the same thing as for example, the, these universes beyond things to, to like paint a bigger picture. I don't really care about all that universes beyond stuff. Uh, people say, oh, it like dilutes the, the, I don't know. Oh, you mean when they had uh, Walking Dead, they had Glenn and people were up in arms because they thought it was like a strictly better cold ice Not even like from the competitive and... aspect, um, be- okay. because like all these universes, beyonds, they rarely ever matter, right, for anything. But mm-hmm. uh, so some argument somebody brought up is, oh, it, it dilutes the flavor, right? And say, so, oh, Gandalf takes his lightsaber and strikes down uh, Optimus Prime or something. Like, yeah, that, that's not happening in Legacy. Hey, maybe that's like destroying your experience in EDH, but that's not... Uh, that's not something I'm concerned with. So Universe Beyond, I don't care about, uh, just to preface that. And then when it comes to uh, to all that Commander stuff, I also really don't care that much about it. Like, really, uh, there's True Name Nemesis was annoying, but not. I've, I've never been really at a point where I was like, oh, True Name Nemesis is such a stupid card. Uh, so, and even like you brought up Flusterstorm, right? I think Flusterstorm was one of the greatest, greatest, greatest additions to Legacy ever because it's... It's a counterspell that you can use to shoot down something and like shoot it down hard. Whereas from the other side of the board, if you're trying to protect a, a broken combo, it's just like a one for one. It's just like a one for one counterspell. Whereas on the other side, on, on the defensive side, you, you you like hit really hard. So that's a great thing. Uh, overall, I, I mean, you 
we had Monarch as a mechanic, which of course wasn't originally intended for one versus one. I think people are okay with Monarch. Uh, I, I almost want to say it's a net positive to the format in the sense that you finally have something to put like hard control decks under a lot of pressure because they can't steal back the monarchy and if you resolve one of those. So overall, I, I think Monarch is either, either neutral or maybe even slightly beneficial. And now we arrive at the initiative, right? And the initiative... So first of all, I play Painter, and I feel like Painter is one of the worst matchups for initiative. At least some initiative players told me that on, on Twitter, and it's also been my personal impression. But overall, from what I see, they... they you mean, you mean Painter is like much, is vastly favored? That's what you mean, right? I wouldn't say it's vastly favored, but it's favored. Uh, they they told me like one of the... That's, I think Cephalid Breakfast is another one they don't really want to face. Uh, but overall, I, I've seen the win, win percentage the deck had at... Eternal Weekend North America, which had like 400, let's say 50 players, 60. And it was mm. the second most played deck, which rarely happens, right? To a new deck that comes into the format. It was the second most played deck and it had a 65% win rate. And part of that is people weren't really sure what they were going up against. I guess that goes back to like, hey, there's a certain amount of like people who are really just like casual. I, I remember when I played at Four Seasons, a guy next to me was playing against uh, uh, the White Initiative deck. He had never seen or heard about it before. <laughs> like at some point he, he took like the, the season dungeon here and he showed it to me he was like this is absolutely dis disgusting like this is ridiculous and we, we've seen it on Magic Online Eternal Weekend Magic Online that happened on the same weekend where it only had like I want to say like a 55% uh, win rate which still like to Wizards right that's like the cutoff where they feel that there should be something happening and Javi Dominguez uh, even talked about it or uh, like cur current uh, former world champion by, by now uh, I guess you're a world champion forever. You're amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's like being the president. I guess you're always called president. Yeah, yeah, States. exactly. And he talked about it on, on the on the Carnies podcast. And he said he was like so flabbergasted. He was like, something has to be done about this. This this doesn't even make sense at all. And I could see that happening because if, if it gets to a point where, yeah, it might have like two, three, like not great matchups. But if it's that much better than what people are trying to do, maybe something should happen and i i wouldn't even say that's necessarily a thing because of commander even though of course the mechanic i guess is based for commander because you you have to defend against four people trying to see back the initiative uh so i hope i hope they will for me as long as they ban something if it actually turns out to be like a problem and then they ban it that's okay with me because mm -hmm. I don't really feel like we are ever getting to a spot where they will actively consider legacy as an influence that would make them not do something that they perceive to be good for EDH or Standard or Pioneer or something. As long as they take care of problems in a reasonable time frame, that's, that, to me, a reasonable time frame would be like half a year or something, I guess. <laughs> and that's okay. It's maybe maybe it goes back to to like a general thing in life where i feel like yeah it would be great if they if problems didn't happen in the first place but that's not the world we live in <laughs> so the second was, best thing is like yeah. you take care of problems <laughs> i was just gonna say i feel like you and i are kind of similar in terms of being how should i say it pragmatic in terms of yeah. a lot of things magic included right because i think there's a lot of this kind of I will call this idealism in magic, which is like, ideally magic, these things should never happen, right? Uh, you know, we created something that was too broken for this format. It had a, it has a 55% win rate. That should never happen. And there's, a, there's almost a kind of community feedback, which is a very simplistic black and white 
this is unacceptable. There's a lot of like frustration and venting and I get it because people are invested in formats, especially a format like legacy where you, it used to be like, you don't, you have to master it, right? It's not some new, new deck that comes out this year and just crushes everything with a 65% win rate. And if you're not, if you've never read the Dungeoneer card, you're just fucked. Right. And then you show Julian, like, here's the card I hear. Here's the card that's, um, <laughs> that was so funny. that's screwing me over. Right. <laughs> such, I wish I was there. It was such a moment. Um, but I think the more pragmatic way is just say that mistakes will always be made because of the complexity of the game. And we recognize that wizards is never going to test exclusively or at all for the legacy format. Now you could argue, yeah, maybe it should do some like check. There should be some checklist where not checklist cards, but an actual checklist where they test things for legacy. But in the absence of that happening and a pattern that shows consistently that is not happening, I think the community should temper their expectations. Maybe just if you, if you're going to enjoy or be invested in this format, you have to accept that next year, the same thing will happen with another mechanic that they haven't tested for. But as long as the way that they address it is to ban it or to take some sort of like, mm -hmm. um, action after the fact, right? Yeah. If, as long as you're willing to accept that as a practical reality, then your life's going to be fine. I'm not saying that someone's life is people's lives are not fine right now, but there's always this kind of, maybe this is also the, the, the nature of the internet is just this like incredulous reaction. It's like, how could this happen again? It happens because this is a card game with like, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of millions of different interactions and you're playing in a marginalized format. I'm sorry, I have to say this as a legacy fan as well. We're playing in a very <laughs> um, un unprioritized format for wizards. So you, this is kind of the deal. Like you, you, you kind of signed up for this as, as a player of this format, you just kind of have to deal with yeah, it. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's harsh for me to say, but it's just, it just feels like every year it's the same cycle yeah. and complaining about it isn't necessarily going to make them change. Think, so you have to mentally accept that. I think psychologically I, I can get it. So let's say you've been a format veteran. You've been in the format for 20 years and it, it didn't used to be that right. We legacy bands were like a very rare thing or like the format getting shaken up. I guess the older people will remember like flash when that happened, that was also swiftly dealt with. And then all of a sudden, like this starts happening more often, then you feel like, oh, it didn't used to be that way. And then you feel betrayed. Whereas the same thing, like you buy into legacy, you spend like a couple thousand, or, or I guess you could also get proxies these days and you, you, you play. And then all of a sudden there comes this mechanic that's not even intended for the format. And it destroys your deck. It happens to destroy your deck. And then you go to tournaments and you start losing all the time. You also feel shitty. And I mean, that's legitimate. And I think, yeah, that's I mean, something... that, that's legit. That's demoralizing, right? Yeah. yeah. And. I think the the one thing, and you mentioned that, is, is to realize, okay, this is this is the format we play, and this sometimes happens. I mean, the kind of the beauty of legacy is that sometimes out of the blue, like this mirage Ankerman, all of a sudden becomes like the next big thing because it's so cool because it interacts with this new thing. We, we also have that, right? Which which doesn't really happen all that much in, in like smaller formats, and that's cool. And I think we we still. As, as fans of the format kind of like draw a, la a line in the sand, I almost want to say where we feel like, okay, if, if you Wizards deal with this in a reasonable amount of time, and for me, I've decided like, I, I will always give Wizards like, I guess half a year before I, I get like, actually like really angry. Um, yeah. and, and that's okay. And then your life's going to be better. Something, something I really only learned in the last couple of years is that I used to be the person who was like on a high horse and considered himself a perfectionist. Like I'm a perfectionist and, and I, by now, I think people 
who strive for perfection or actually like think of themselves as perfectionist, I, I think that's a character flaw, which is such a big turnaround of like the person I used to be, let's say 20 years ago or something. Uh, I really think tr like trying to justify anything you do by saying, oh, I'm a perfectionist. That's why I don't do X, Y, Z right now. Uh, and that's why I need more time for that and that. I mean, there, there, there's a case to be made why sometimes that's the right call and sometimes it's not. But if, if that's just like your blanket thing of how you do things, I think that's a character flaw because that's like taking the easy route instead of actually trying to see what can be accomplished. Because if you don't do anything or if you immediately like jump to the, the, the direct conclusion of this is shit because this is not perfect, I think that's not the way to go. And for as much as like, I, I like idealism in the sense of like, I have this concept when it's like, especially in politics, right, of about how things should run. But I also understand that's not something we can just like implement from from today until tomorrow. And sometimes you even like need to do things that you feel like, oh, if in the long run, this is not how we should do things, but it's still an improvement for, let's say, like children born today and, and stuff like, I think there's, there's so much value in pragmatism. I guess that's also like why the people who do well in politics are usually always pragmatists and i guess that feeds into people being perceived of oh they're they are not true to the true ideals of the party i voted for and like yeah i get that but it ain't that easy man <laughs> no and the yeah. question is how do you develop that anti-perfectionism how do you develop pragmatism because it sounds like at least as far as legacy is concerned it can take years so is, is there a way for someone to shortcut to to that, mm -hmm. is it just like hearing our perspective and trying to internalize it, or is it something else? No, by appreciating the results, by by really appreciating what you have, and acknowledging what it took to get there, uh, instead of just being being discontent with the status quo. Like if you really, if you really are unhappy about something and you need anything, everything about it to change in a quick fashion, then maybe that's not. Like that, that thing doesn't actually genuinely make you happy. And I can, I can see that that's maybe the case. And that's, I guess, also for a lot of people why they stop doing a certain hobby. But if you, if you appreciate something, if you really like something and you are still unhappy about certain aspects of it, then you can strive to make those aspects better. But if, if you're like 80% happy with something and you, you have a clear vision of, Hey, I would like to make these other 20% better, but I still love going to my, I don't know, tournament, weekly gathering or something and enjoy that. I think that's great. And f from a content creator side of things, there's also the thing of, hey, if I put something out and it's not perfect, I, I think there, there used to be a Julian who would be like, oh my God, how could I ever put out something that's not perfect? <laughs> or the thing is like, I've never put out something that's perfect. And I put out something that's imperfect and people absolutely adore and love it. And then that, you know, that feedback that you get, that, that thing that you live for, like there's money, yeah, you get out of content, but there's also like feedback that also makes you really happy. And you see, okay, I put out something that I deemed good enough to put out there and people loved it. And then I can still improve on it the next time, you know? And, and that's, that's, I think that's a very healthy approach to content creation. So what would you just say to somebody who might be 50% happy with legacy, that someone who might be on the verge of, leaving the format, not participating in the format due to frustration or how they perceive things are. Is there something that you would say to try and, I guess the first question is, would you try to, do you think you can influence them to, to win them back? And if so, what would you say? Mm, the, the, I think the biggest thing is what makes you happy or at least what used to make you happy about, let's say in this particular case, legacy. And for, for some people, it's just like going to, to your local tournaments every week or something and if that sucks because there's a really bad deck like crushing you every single time 
I, I think it's okay. It's completely okay. And I mean, that's the lazy advice because everybody says that. But if you really step away for a couple of weeks or even like a couple of months, I think that's fully okay. And I, I want to say I've had the best, like there's only ever been, like I'm, I'm actually living what I preach here. There's only ever been a time in the last 10 years where I was so unhappy with legacy that I literally stepped away with it. And that was in 2015 after GP11, when the next ban announcement, they didn't ban Dick, uh, they didn't ban Dick through time. And I fully expected them to do it. And I was like, okay, this is the summer of the late summer of 2015. They haven't banned Dick through time. I think it's, it's a horrendous that they didn't ban it now. I literally stepped away. I, I enjoyed summer. I, I remember this. I bought a bit, I bought a PlayStation 4. I played GTA 5 because I, I never thought I would like buy a PlayStation 4. Like I, I did like all the other stuff in life that I wanted to do. And then they banned Dick through time. Then I came back and then life and like my legacy life continued. But those couple of months, those were great. Even though I didn't do the thing I, I like hobby wise, I love to do the most, which is playing legacy. So I think it's okay. when the reason is that you don't enjoy something then you can step away from it and see how it develops because chances are a lot of people feel the same. And for as much as we should give wizards like shit for products, pricing policy, whatever, I'm incredibly happy with their with the handling of legacy in terms of bans. The, the only thing is that sometimes like top or something, or in that case, stick through time took longer than I wanted it to take, but in the end it happened. So I, I give them a lot of credit with still creating a legacy I want to play. And what happens in the future, I can't say, but uh, we'll worry about the future when it arrives, because it's one of the things we have so little influence over in terms of like legacy. That is also a, a good pragmatic view. I, I want to go a little bit back to something that you mentioned quite a while ago, if it's okay. <laughs> Basically, sure. it's like, it's, it's also about that entertainment axis or spectrum, or however you want to call it. I do feel like there are certain creators now that are just totally on the, the educational side, or they just think that by doing what they always were doing as pro players back when there was pro magic, that things would just fall into their lap. And to be honest, I find that some of them, or at least from talking to other people about these creators or just observing what they do, I almost feel like they're kind of lost because we're in a new era of magic now where entertainment does matter more than ever mm -hmm. right like or at least like it, it's it's a kind of like the evolution of the game the popularity of certain formats and also the evolution of content right because it used to be that uh if you're a serious spike you would just be like writing articles or tournament reports and i feel like content has also kind of moved away from that right it's 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 more about video yeah. it's more about TikTok. it's more about like certain ways people consume so I mean, to interrupt I, you yeah. there, right? SDG basically fired their entire competitive team and like only kept the EDH people. Yeah. So that's, that's, I, I, yeah. I guess the question here is like, do you, do you see that as well? It's like, it, are, are the pro players being sort of, are they kind of lost now? Because there really is, first of all, maybe there really isn't pro play. But secondly, like if you're just trying to sell, sell like educational high level competitive content and not p focus on entertainment at all. That also seems to be an incredibly tough road for all but the established pros who whom you've heard of from five, ten years ago, right? But if you're like if you're like a new person who's trying to do that, that seems incredibly hard, or even for existing people. Yeah, I think when it comes to especially like video content, we we used to be in a situation starting in like two thousand, I want to say eight, when when Channel Fireball started putting out videos, right? Where 
before we didn't really have anything like we youtube was only becoming a, like had only become a thing like two years earlier and we we didn't really have anything in legacy or in magic in magic we're speaking about the greater context of magic and so people were very happy to take anything and i have to really admit i watched a lot of that stuff that channel fireball put out but there were so many people i literally would fall asleep and i'm not even like exaggerating i would literally watch their draft and then the gameplay, and then by like match two, I had fallen asleep. <laughs> and there's notable exceptions, and they they do well to this day. Uh, but now that the thing, the scene has become more competitive because when you think about it, content creation is also a game, and you can be the biggest magic casual, but but can you can be an insane spike in content creation, even though you're like the biggest you know casual because you you really hit all the things that 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 make people take that make people tune into your into your into your stream or your youtube video or what have you and now that's become more competitive the it's it's not good enough that you actually create content on a reliable basis like that's the absolute minimum and um i mean we we're doing with the podcast uh, all my streaming and my youtube stuff has never been like super super consistent i guess but the podcast is and that's why it's thriving but now it's not good enough to to just like be consistent. Now you also have to do have to do quality, and the quality like we talked about is is trying to maximize these these two data points, right? Uh, entertainment and educational. And I think it's <laughs> funny enough. It's it's probably like for a lot of like really good magic classes, it's much harder to be entertaining because they they already like they they are. They, they spend so much time on, on getting to that point where they're like really good at the game, but then communicating that and like making people tune into and even just like casuals appreciating that. And that's, I guess, part of why LSV has always been so successful with those videos uh, because he he has that certain kind of humor that a lot of people relate to. And honestly, to be totally honest with you for myself, it's absolutely not mine. I like, I hate puns and that, that kind of stuff. Like I think it's, it's not for me. I could say bad things about puns and stuff, but I mean, I, in the end, it's, it's just like not for me, but it's, not for, a, it's for a lot of people. And that's, I think, why LSV especially has been so successful for a long time for, like, not only being, like, really smart, but also, like, being educational. People love to, like, you know, watch his Channel Fireball videos. And then there's other guys who, when I watch their stuff, I can really tell, fuck, they are so good. They're crazy good, but I really, it's, I, I, I would need to put on a second stream because it's so fucking boring. And mm -hmm. that's okay, because I feel like a lot of people who... Not a lot of people, like almost like in the past, because I think all of that, that mid-low level of, of content creation, where it's just like, oh, it's just about I'm good and I'm trying to make you good as well. I think that has pretty much died off. Um, but what, what I want to say is basically, um, how would I, what would I say that it's almost not content creation. It's more like hanging out with your friends and trying to improve your game. And you just happen to stream that. Whereas I think a lot of the entertaining people, they are like, I'm doing a stream or a YouTube or a podcast. And during this, I hang out with my friends, but I'm, I'm still aware that I'm like trying to put out content. So if you, if you, if you really want to like say, let's test a deck and legacy and get good in the matchup and you sit down with like three, four really good friends and you discuss it. And then some people watch you at the table and they do that. That's, that can be somewhat fulfilling to a degree, but I don't think that's something you would tune in on a, on a weekly basis, especially if the audio sect. So what does it mean to be entertaining then? Is it just having an awareness that you have an audience? Is it just the fact that they don't fall asleep? Like, what is it? It's so hard because like, I'm basically implying, right? That the stuff I do is entertaining, which is, it, it feels you, it makes you feel like, uh, uh, I think it, the, the thing is that 
it captivates people in a way. I mean, that's that's the very basic level of describing entertaining, I guess. Yeah, it it captivates people independent of the content, at least in the first place, that they want to keep watching. And one of the biggest compliments somebody ever made to, to our podcast was uh, when, when we were talking about like exploring other topics or doing an episode on something that's not legacy related. And one of our, our patrons said, guys, I would listen to your podcast if you were reading out like cooking recipes. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm, I very much think that that's part of it because when when I look at myself as the as the consumer of the, those kinds of things, like when I watch other esports or something, and I and I watch the people who are really entertaining, I would watch anything they do because they they just have this inherently captivating personality where you feel like anything could happen and they could say anything at any time, that, which goes back to authenticity. And that's that's the kind of content I like the most because there's also like content out there which I feel like I already know what those commentators are going to say like a minute ahead of time. And then they go through the motions and they say it and it's okay. And it's right. But you, you want some kind of, so the, the German word would be, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the German literary words in, in literature would be zerstreuung, which basically means um, scattering your brain in, in a way you, you want your, pre, your brain cells to be scattered about a little bit uh, and not be in the same place. And like, you know, do the same thing every time you want somebody who comes in, who hits you like in the brain and gives you a little bit of zerstreuung, scatter, scattering your brain cells. Mm. And I think that's very entertaining and that's part of it. And the second part of it is just like, you want to, you want to watch people who you would love to be friends with. Like you, you want to watch people who you feel like, dude, if we went out after a tournament together and, and I don't know, had some drinks, that would be an amazing time. And I, yeah. I, I know people that I like and they do content, like not even magic, like overall. And I feel like, yeah, I like the content, I guess, but I'm really not all that interested in knowing them on a personal level because I think they're just boring. We have some discussions about, uh, probably not good to say the names, but we have talked about certain content in Legacy where we said it, it, it feels like a little bit too clinical, right? Like too yeah. cold in terms of like, I'm here, I'm doing this, bye, like, and you're just a, <laughs> you're just yeah, a bystander. Some people yeah. would even like, uh, not so much in the current sense, uh, in the current iteration of Legacy, but I think still, but not so much, but it used to be a lot more of a thing where where people even took pride in that kind of approach, right? Where people took pride in, oh, I'm very clinical. I don't do all the bells and whistles. I'm, I'm just here to explain it how it is and please appreciate me for that. And it, it, I, I'm also not going to name names, but I talked to somebody. Uh, a couple of years ago, even, who was very, very, very successful in Legacy. One of the most successful people I've ever seen in Legacy. And they at some point told me, or not told me, it wasn't a group chat. And they basically said, I realized too late that just being good is not good enough. In, in the sense of like content creation, right? And that was really like, to me, it also like, uh, it was like in the back of my head, I thought about it like that. But then seeing it like phrased out like that, I was like, yes, exactly. That, that's it. Mm -hmm. Good is not good enough. You got to add the... But some people, it's tough, right? Because some people just have it, just have that certain personality. And it's just hard in life to be good at so many different things, right? Like, I, I find most of the time it's just someone who's entertaining. They may not be the the most skilled because they sort of, I guess it's also opportunity cost, right? Just like, I'm doing this podcast, so I'm not playing Magic. Or you're doing this podcast with me, so you're currently not playing painter. So everything has a kind of opportunity cost and it kind of just builds up and adds up over days and weeks and months, right? Something I notice in people that makes them more entertaining. To, I mean, in the end, it, 
different things are entertaining to different people like go, going back to lsv right uh i appreciate that like the the work he's done is absolutely not for me the kind of humor but he's good but i, I look for other kind of entertainment <laughs> that actually sounds a little bit <laughs> <laughs> it's okay anyway yeah. anyway um i think a big big thing that makes for example us as a podcast work really well is that I can only speak for me with regards to that. I feel like I can, that's been actually be true my entire life. People even used to tell me that back in school. Like, I very much feel I can say anything I think because I have no guilty conscience about any, like, I guess I have a guilty conscience because, I don't know, maybe I did some small thing. To, like, it's, I don't know, as a child, whatever. Or, or maybe even, like, I mistreated somebody, like, in a small way. But, like, when it comes to the stuff that actually matters, and like the medium and big stuff, I, I have absolutely no guilty conscience. So I, I feel I can instantly say what I think about something. Uh, and the only worry is like, oh, am I actually phrasing it correctly? Um, uh, but other than that, like with regards to the actual content, I can literally spill out immediately what I think. And I think that makes people a lot of a lot more interesting to me, a lot more entertaining. And I guess that goes back to authenticity because that's what authenticity is all about. Yeah, absolutely. So... Before we go on to other parts, let, let's just talk about your podcast, because this is your baby. This has been a big focus area for yeah. you and your co-host for the year. Can you look back on 2022 with, uh, there you go, Everyday <laughs> Eternal, uh, always be selling. So can you look back on the year with Callum and Kai and like, what are some of the the highlights and lowlights? Uh, apologies if you guys are going to do an episode on this. I, I did listen to a part of your your retrospective your interview mm -hmm. episode recently, but it didn't quite cover like the, the actual making of the podcast. So I'm, I'm talking about the making of the podcast. Are there things that overall you're pretty happy with and things that you wish could have been mm -hmm. done better or differently? Uh, it's actually good that you mentioned lowlights because we didn't really touch on that in, in any kind of way in our, in our summary episode. And I wouldn't even phrase it as a lowlight, but as a learning experience, because looking back, now that we now that's the three of us, I think we should be more selective on whether we invite guests on the show, uh, and that's not even necessarily about the guests. Because, but I think at, once you go to four people, and especially if the the fourth person doesn't have a lot of like entertainment or podcast uh, experience, you we create a kind of atmosphere that's not what we want to be. And we even talked about it later on, which was to to me that was like one of the best aspects. Where, where I feel like, okay, this episode did... I, I'm not even going to sing loud which one, uh, but there was one where I felt like this felt a little bit too... Yeah. There was, we, we didn't have the spark, right? The, the kind of spark that I wanted. But I didn't immediately talk about it afterwards because we usually record quite late and then you go to bed. And the next morning, Kai actually sent us a message and he was like, this is this didn't really like play out the way we we kind of imagined the podcast doesn't Callum and I we were both immediately like yeah exactly this is this is not what we want to do and yeah. the, uh, I guess Kai broke the ice yeah he he said it yeah yeah that's amazing and that's amazing because because that's really something I learned from it and I I yeah we we, we will be more selective and when I say that like if you've been a guest imagine uh, on everyday channel this year that's not on you it's on us which is like the worst thing to say I guess <laughs> <laughs> no but it's, it's ser seriously we there was one episode where I felt like it devolved a little bit into a question and answer thing and that's the opposite of what we want to do we want to be a hangout right and that's also why we were thinking about like doing a video podcast because I think that that then you can get even more of that hangout vibe uh, of just like people who who have like a very dynamic conversation and and just like talk about something they are passionate about, but it's less of a clinical um, question answer thing. And I think one of the episodes developed kind of into that. And 
Yeah, we learned from that. And the highlight, dude. <laughs> dude, we went to we went to Far Seasons Bologna, which to me, ever since COVID happened, I've played in a couple of paper tournaments like this year or even by the end of last year. But this is the first big thing I have done in three years, can you imagine? Like November, right? It was right after I visited you in Beijing. I came back and I played in GP Bologna, which was a blast. And I would have never thought back then, like late 2019, that this would be my last big paper event for like three years. Come on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah, now this, this was the time. This was finally the time to go back out again. And we played a 480-something player event. And this was just like beyond, beyond. This was probably one of the best events I ever played. And I think I, I even like I told Callum afterwards, um, because Callum said like, I needed to book my flight to the next Four Seasons in, I believe, March, uh, like a week after he had come back from the first Four Seasons. And we went there, we played in the, the Team Trios event, we, we both wore all of like our, our everyday tournaments back and stuff, and we played in a Team Trio event. Uh, we, we didn't top eight, like the team we lost to in the last round, they top eighted. I think we would have been exactly ninth had we won, but it was still an amazing time, an absolutely amazing time. And just like the entire weekend, catching up with so many people from all around Europe. Like there's, I think the biggest... Well, the, the most impressive thing I've ever seen is those people putting on the ELM, the European Legacy Masters, which, which, which basically, I guess that's another episode in itself. It's basically the European Pro Tour of Legacy that's completely independent of Wizards or anything. This is something the players have created. Their, their slogan is like, it's a bit tacky, like from the players for the players, I guess. <laughs> but um, that, that's basically what it is. And, and seeing that come to fruition and then jumping in the booth, and I, I commented a match with, with Callum, I believe, like one of the quarterfinals or semifinals, it was just overall one of the greatest experiences. And that, by the way, greatly contributed to me coming back and being like, dude, I want to own a paper legacy deck again. Because shout outs to Tom DeDecker. Tom DeDecker like, gave me a deck and, and kind of, um, uh, also like the, the local community gave me some cards. But the freedom of literally just like having your own legacy deck and being able to jump into any kind of event you want without having to rely on other people, that's amazing. And I, I can't say enough good things about Four Seasons. Bologna, that team, absolutely out of the spot, what they put together in, in that space, and such a well-run tournament that I would go back at any time. And I even talked to some other people. Dude, I, I, I could go on about this forever. Like, I, I, I talked to the, the creators of Impact Returns in uh, Galicia, in, in northern Spain, northwestern Spain. Uh, they were like, dude, we, we might actually just, like, fly you in, and then you do commentary and play in the event or something. And I would be so down for that. So, Runko, I, I'm going to take you up on that offer. <laughs> so what is the secret for these organizers? Why are they able to do such a good job? Is it just the fact that they've been doing it for a long time? Is it the continuity, or is it something else? So for four seasons, um, I know a couple of the top people that are involved with that, and they have a lot of experience. Yeah, I didn't really go. I didn't. I didn't <laughs> go to the first four seasons that happened before COVID because it was like a new tournament series coming up, and I was like, "Yeah, there's so many in Europe. Like, uh, I, I guess I go there sometime." But then I did it a couple of times, and the feedback has always been amazing. Like the feedback from these four, like. I want to say I love Italy and I love going there for tournaments, but especially in the years of, from like 2013 to 2017, 16, it was kind of rough sometimes for tournaments, like huge delays and stuff in small venues. And somehow those four seasoned people, they found a way to make it work. And I, I can't talk about the economics of it because, of course, you have to pay judges and you have to find a venue and stuff, but they somehow make it work. And they, they have created a tournament where I don't even care about the prices. I mean, that in part, that's because I 
generally I'm not as crazy as trying to min max like my expenses and stuff with regards to magic. But they they really are incredibly passionate about legacy and they want to put on the best legacy that there is and that's what they're doing and i guess part of it like I, i'm actually not sure but a lot of other organizers who are doing some something similar in other countries i say that is something falls down from my wall anyway legacy takes priority <laughs> the, the biggest thing whether it's like on local level regional level or international level is to find a venue that's affordable and i know of some organizers who literally get a venue for free for like a couple hundred people and we also we do that for for our local tournaments we also get a venue for free where we host like tournaments with up to 64 players and once you get the venue for free that frees up so much economics to you know just make the event work like i i, I guess get churches that's i would assume another big expense and and then you you run the thing and they even put on a stream like runko for example he he came over from uh um uh northern spain and he just like put on the stream and everything you have so many people who are incredibly passionate about and then when you talk about the elm because the elm is technically split off from four seasons and the people who run that they they don't earn a dime like they earn nothing and that's uh, i talked about that on the last everyday tunnel episode i'm, I'm always concerned I, I mean they're not showing any signs of that right now but i'm concerned that what happens if they burn out because i think you you should have at least get something out of it to justify it um, in front of yourself because otherwise i've seen projects like that like happen and then just like vanish after a while so <laughs> i i i was talking to a friend of mine who's involved with that and about sponsorship and stuff uh, and about how to approach sponsors and then uh, let's say i i told him dude you should be asking for like at least double or triple of, of what you actually got because that's otherwise it's it's going to be cheap and i think they I, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to, to, to say what they should do because I'm, I don't know enough to really be aware of what they should do. But from the limited amount of knowledge I have, I think they're already doing an insanely good job. And I think the next step is to make it more permanent, but at least, you know, making it so that like the organizers, they don't need to pay for their flights or they don't need to pay for their, their hotel stays or something to really, you know, get, get a f fundamental level of, hey, we, we can put this on without worrying about anything. And then we build on that. Because right now it's all out of pocket from what I understand. And I think I, I really want them to do too well. And like with the sponsors that might get involved, I think they, they can definitely do that. I'm going to flip the tables here and risk asking a controversial question for you. Hit me. Why are American organ, why are American tournaments so badly organized? <laughs> Dude, um, Why? <laughs> So I, I've had, I have limited experience with that. I played in the GP uh, that was organized by SCG. That was okay. Uh, and I played in another GP that was organized by Channel Fireball. That was okay. I think the, the things that I didn't like about these tournaments is that the, the side events were horrible. The side events were all like... In Europe, you especially noticed that once Channel Fireball took over the, uh, um, the, all the GPs, we used to have amazing side events. People used to, from Munich, for example, they used to travel to Vienna, which is like four and a half hours, just to play in the big legacy side event on Sunday. We, we had like several cars and like from all around Europe. And you had a couple hundred people for the big legacy side event, top eight. And, and like, that was a thing. And now you get these, these Channel Fireball events, but it's like three rounds. And then the last one is a split anyway. And that those are heavily optimized for the TO, right? And maybe on an economic sense, it makes sense for, some, for them. I don't know. And I feel like a lot of stuff that's happening in the U.S. 
and I guess that sounds almost a little bit like, oh, the cocky European. I think a lot of stuff that's happening in the US, not even with regards to magic, but even like with regards to economic society and stuff, I think a lot of people, they're almost, they almost have like the Stockholm syndrome of, oh, that's just like how it works. That's just like the best we can get. And if you don't like know any better, then maybe that's just like what's okay for you. And I mean, I, I still fly, would fly to the US for a legacy GP if, if it worked out and, and made sense like um, for me. But I I think these events that they, that they prioritize something that still attracts players, but it's not as great of an experience. So if, if you think about it strictly in an economic sense, right, they would kind of like be doing the right thing by by cutting back on their investment while still like maximizing their their um their basically is it Pareto efficiency at that point uh but i i just feel like that's shitty because in, not shitty in a, in a moral sense it's just like a shitty a shittier experience for players as opposed to what we do in europe right now especially right now but also it used to be a thing pre-covid with like let's say let's say ovino get on right uh, Bazaar of Moxen, I can't really say because Bazaar of Moxen was, was organized by a star, but it was, it was the pinnacle of legacy and amazing. I, I guess they are one of the few exceptions to that. But once you you create something that's independent of a star, and I'm, I almost feel like sad saying that because a couple of my good friends actually own their own LGS. You, you put yourself in a position where you can prioritize the stuff players care more about at the trade-off of not being sanctioned anymore. Mm. And I used to feel like, oh, if Legacy ever disconnects from like the Wizards competitive play thing, that would be horrible for Legacy. I used to really, really think that because I thought, oh, that takes away legitimacy and and like no coverage and stuff and oh no, that would be so bad. But now having actually lived in that reality, and that's what we do, right? We we do that in uh in Frising and uh etc. Or Callum does the same in London for the London Legacy Monthly. And I believe a lot of people are doing that. For example, the um, impact returns I talked about not in Spain. I think they, at least venue-wise, are also kind of independent. And that's really, really, really what I strongly think is... I can't say it's the future for Legacy globally because other places have other priorities. And I'm not even sure that would work in the US with like, I don't know, people... It, it, I, I, I don't really see a reason why it wouldn't work in the US to go LGS independent. But it's what we're doing here and has made legacy so much better. And part of it is that we are allowing proxies. We don't allow like cheap proxies where you just like take a Sharpie and write Black Lotus or whatever. And interestingly, people have like really nice printouts, if ever, like most people don't even have proxies uh, or they just like, have a couple. And we basically what happened is we, we had these tournaments and they used to get like 12 people. I don't know. And then we allowed proxies and then we did that whole thing of like really promoting it. And now we get like 50, like 50, 56, I think was the record. And those are numbers we used to have 10 years ago. And all of that is LGS independent. And, and to, to conclude that thought, it's so funny to me because I, I submitted my question about why um, the, the US is not doing that to Elo Pantas when they were talking about that. And they talked about my question and they... I guess part of me is of that is on me because I didn't specifically frame that I, I imagined this or that we are doing this independent of an LGS. And they completely answered the question on the assumption that it would still be held in LGS. And I was like, oh, I should have said that because that's like, mm. they, that's not how we do it. Like, not at all. And once you do it like inside an LGS, of course, all the incentives change and stuff. And I, I would never, 
uh, I would never want to go to an LGS. That's the wrong way to phrase it. But I, I have no incentive to really ever like go to a tournament that's held in LGS when you when you are lucky enough to have a venue that you can use where it's like us, right? We we do it on a Sunday in a bar. The bar is closed. They only open in the evening. So we start on, in the morning and we run the tournament over the day. We charge five euros extra. And that five euros can be spent on uh, drinks during the day because they also give us access to their kitchen. We can like actually give out uh, drinks. So if you're there for like seven hours, chances are you're going to buy, you know, like a Coke or water or whatever. And the bar has something out of it because we play there every time. You also go there every Tuesday. So they make money of us this way. And they also get some nice extra money and they trust us. And that's insane. And for us, that gives us a place where we can play and don't have to pay for our venue. I suppose my question is also a bit flawed in the sense that we need to compare apples to apples, right? So I'm thinking about these independently organized legacy tournaments in Europe, as you had mentioned. What is the analog in the U.S.? Like there might be some regional uh, independent run legacy events. Maybe a better comparison is like a European PTQ versus uh, a DreamHack in the U.S., which is a PTQ or a similar type of tournament, right? I, I guess in the U.S. there really isn't something on the level of the Four Seasons or some of what you have described. Is that right? Because, I mean, I'm, not, I'm also not from the U.S., but it's like I feel like there's much smaller regional players that are doing legacy events, and maybe that's just the nature of the beast is that there isn't as much interest or people willing to work pro bono to make yeah. that happen. So maybe it, maybe it does come down to incentives and the structure. I don't yeah. Know. So quick shout outs to, I believe the Buffalo chicken dip actually also does it like we do. So shout outs to them. <laughs> shout out right. to them. But my understanding is they were struggling to even fire the event, right? Oh, is and, that uh, <laughs> yeah. Like they were struggling to, to get people until the end. Uh, there was also a big one by the legacy pit shout out to the legacy pit, but they also said they're not, they, I can't remember who it was. Was it Buffalo or was it Legacy Pit? They said they might not do one again because it just wasn't profitable. It didn't meet their mm -hmm. their expectations or I don't know what it was, but it, it seems like those are the biggest ones. But even then, it seems like a little bit rocky. So is it just the fact that European organizers are willing to do it just for the, the love of the game and they're just like willing to mm -hmm. take a a hit or i don't know what it is it might certainly be like a cultural and political thing uh for example in uh in the four seasons thing from what i understand because i asked like this is a huge huge space and while we were there there was also like a huge change you can't imagine that i want to say there were like 400 people playing a bingo championship there were literally 400 mostly old people sitting there in an entire room playing a bingo championship and then there was uh, in the bar room there were like i want to say like 50 people old men playing like card games like old card games and at some point I asked one of the Italian guys, like, how, how, what is this place? This is like a, a youth center for like old people or stuff. And I guess legacy players count as old people. <laughs> and, oh, you were and, describing the, the legacy players there for a second. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the, what I was told is that these kinds of places exist. It's the same in Milan and where we had Ovino Gedon as well. That's also like basically the same kind of place. They had like chess boards all about all kinds of stuff, like even like all, all kinds of games. And the way it was explained to me is this is like something that the left parties in, uh, in Italy created quite a long time ago to give old people or even like poor people who don't have like much money for any kind of hobbies a place together and, and hang out and, you know, play experience community, I guess, would, would be a broader thing to do. And that, that's, of course, like a left policy, right? Because in a way, the, the community, city, town, whatever is, is basically 
devoting resources to make improving the life of these people without getting something back directly. And I, I could imagine, for example, in Germany, you also don't really have that. We have that for young people, which is called like a youth center. Uh, but other than that, we don't really have that. And I guess that's part of why Legacy is so successful in Italy, because the only places I've ever been to in, Leg in Italy where I played Legacy is always these places. And apparently, like, mm -hmm. every medium-sized town has that. And that's so there's I, a kind of uh, infrastructure there already. Yeah, there's an infrastructure. And the existence of that in infrastructure is like a, is a political, societal thing. And I, I don't know how it works in the U.S. Does the U.S. have, like, you grew up in Canada, right? But you, do you have any insight into, like, whether, whether the U.S. has places like that? I guess it would be I like, like a, it's all it's all convention centers and concert halls where they have to spend <laughs> a lot of money to to rent them, right? I mean, that's also why folks like Anurag Das have issues with his coverage with costs because, like, even to get internet there to do coverage, like everything costs money. It's it's uh, everything is for profit. I hate to say that it isn't for profit in Europe, but it, it's it, I certainly feel like it has more of that vibe. Or it's maybe for somebody else's profit. I guess that's I yeah. Mean, in the end, anything ever everywhere is, is for somebody's profit. Right. It's somebody's gain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and that can be like net positives all around. It's not like a, a trade-off always, uh, like when you exploit synergies and stuff. But yeah, um, I, I guess the U.S. is... I, I, whenever I talk about like good things in the U.S., people are like, oh, but then, I don't know, there's going to be vandalism or people are going to take advantage of that. And then the poor people are going to come in and take drugs. And that brings me back to, okay, so, so, so we, we actually we don't have to talk about it on this level. We go, need to go to like a much deeper root cause and try to fix society before we talk about, hey, how, what do we make better for legacy players? And I guess that brings us back to pragmatism, right? Because we, if we, if we want to solve the root cause and like, I don't know, there's things that are problematic in Europe, there's things that are problematic in, in the US. And if you want to solve the root cause of any of those things happening in any country, you're probably like, yeah, you're going to fail because you're going to burn out before you get, even get close. So you, you try to come up with something. And yeah, the, a middle ground that I can see, and I've seen people do that uh, in the US, uh, at least I think Anurag even told me about that, is where you approach a space that would otherwise be closed. Like let's say a bar. I, I don't know if it works like that in the US, but I guess bars are closed during the daytime. Uh, dude, it's so complicated because then I hear about like places <laughs> in the US are like 24-7 open all the time, whereas in Europe, everything's closed on a Sunday. So how would you even find a place on a Sunday? It's like, ah, oh, dude. It's tricky. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is. And uh, I also want to, like, there's another part of this, too, is, like, do you think the player, the players who are playing these events, do they have different mindset or expectations, right? Now, obviously, we're looking at outliers, like, on the internet, right? But I feel like when I see a lot of feedback about tournaments in the U.S., it typically comes down to, like, people complaining that there isn't enough EV in the payouts and... I feel like there's got to be a flip side to that where the organizers have to go head over heels to make sure that the players feel like it's fair, like hashtag value. I'm, I'm wondering if like European players also feel similarly. Like obviously you're probably not going to travel to Italy unless you feel like the, the EV is really good, right? I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. But I feel like I'm just wondering, do players have also different expectations, you think, in, in Europe in terms mm -hmm. of having fun versus it's, getting paid out? It depends. So... I, I mentioned, right, how I used to be a lot more about EV and I would even be like almost like a pain in the ass of people where I would calculate the EV of like, oh, you're getting so much money from entrance and you're only paying out this percentage. And if it's lower than this percentage, like, oh, you're scamming us. And I mean, I, I know there's like one or two events. I, I literally felt in Europe that ETO was trying to almost like scam people. But overall, most of the time, it's, it's, that's just not the case. And I feel like... 
I mean, one factor is travel. I guess travel in Europe is a lot more affordable. Like when people tell me that they, they pay like a couple hundred dollars for flights, not even like across the country, but even just like between cities and in the US. But yeah, that's one factor. But the other one also is um, competition. And when I used to be like a lot more anal about that kind of stuff, it's... Mm, there were more competition, right? There was more competition. There was the MKM series. There was Bomb. There was uh, We Know Get On. Then, like, a lot of tournaments in Spain that they didn't even go to. And and all around Europe, you had tournaments. But now with Four Seasons, that's, like, the one big thing we have here right now. And then, you know, all these 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 things that are close, like Impact Returns um, or uh, Exion put on a really great tournament in, uh, in Birmingham. There's only so many big tournaments that we have that we can go to and i think people really appreciate that and when you when you have the feeling that the to really does their best and i guess that's part of the, the legacy community in europe most of the people that are even, either like longtime players or organizers or involved coverage or something they know each other and when i went to when i decided to go to four seasons i i literally hadn't looked into on the on the prices until they like put them put them on the on the on the spreadsheet uh, and i was like oh okay i didn't even know there was <laughs> of course there's prices but yeah because i knew the people who were putting it on and i felt like dude whatever they're putting on is probably going to be fair and like they they're like giving as much as they can and if they wanted to give more it literally wouldn't be possible unless they they, they back the money the, the money from the sponsors i guess but that i really want the money from the sponsors so they have a good reputation for... really yeah, 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 yeah. Earned that. exactly okay. i don't know how it works in the u.s well, because in the u.s you you have like cfb and and SEG, i guess for you had them for a long time i think time. people have good expectations of those players okay. it's it's when it comes to uh again shout out to buffalo chicken or legacy pit when it comes to like these indie organizers that people may not have played the events for then there's probably like it's less known right so people have to feel like where they, they'll do the research they'll figure they'll try to figure mm -hmm. it out yeah, yeah and, and that's why i always um keep saying for for these kind of tournaments if you have coverage that's just that like, goes such a long way that's also why i'm so happy that uh four seasons and and has like all english coverage because in the past it was also like sometimes italian stuff and they even talked about the quality of the coverage and when i was in the coverage booth i also like i was allowed to like improve some things that i thought could be made better and i think that's so important because that's how you build the brand right and if you if you say you go to four seasons everybody immediately knows oh that's that's like a really good thing and, and that, that that's where people come back and they feel happy about it and everything like your friends who went there and you didn't go and they were like oh next time you must come and you watch them on the stream that that's such a big thing and i also think seg for example wouldn't have been nearly as successful if the tournaments if they hadn't streamed it because i mean to a certain degree it doesn't really matter to me anymore, but it certainly mattered for a while is you, you get like some kind of fame, right? You, you put on stream and like people talk about you. And if you win, they might even say nice things about you and, and that kind of stuff. I think that's also a great feeling for a lot of people. And that's why I'm super happy. That's, uh, um, yeah, that, that, I guess that goes into brand building. Let's talk, let's talk about your participation in coverage for a second, because I know you've been involved in the coverage or commentary or some combination of that this year 2022 like what are some of your highlights and lowlights or looking back on it uh so the biggest thing for me is um that's uh, i guess we, we already spoke about like p people picking up the torch of, of running tournaments and that energy has really done that right they're they're based in and what they call chicago land um and this is uh nerd rage gaming right in our nerd rage gaming yeah. exactly this is a regional series in the u.s as, as i understand it basically in the midwest yeah they they started having tournaments a little bit further out but that's basically the the not only greater chicago area but you know that whole part of the u.s not the entire midwest but the, the, that area 
And I, I already did commentary for them last year, if I remember correctly. But this year, I started doing a lot, lot, lot more commentary. Basically, one of their regular commentators, along with a couple of other people. They even they sent me like a jacket with my name on it. I mean, you know, you know, you've made it as a commentator when when they send you a jacket with your name, I guess. <laughs> and I, yeah, I'm not only doing legacy commentary because that that was my like. That's how I got my foot in the door because Joe Lossett reached out to me and he was like, hey, Trudin, you've always played Legacy. Why don't you like come commentate with me? And they really liked it. And at some point they, they were like, hey, Trudin, you, you, do you also know something about modern? Maybe you can get you on modern commentary as well so we can have you on more often. I'm like, yeah, sure, sign me up. And then I learned more about modern. And then I still try to learn more about Pioneer because right now I only commentate on Pioneer when they have like team trios like Legacy, Modern, Pioneer. And... That's what I've been doing for the entire year. I'm also going to do the basically the season and championship that they're going to have in, uh, in January as well. And I love doing that. Absolutely love doing that. that <laughs> I learned so much from, from them about like how to run that and all the behind the scenes stuff. It's, it's amazing. And you, you can also like try to implement that and, and show like a couple of like small tricks to, to for example, at Four Seasons, there were a couple of small things that I picked up while, while basically doing commentary for, for energy. And the insight into how an event like that is run professionally is absolutely amazing to me. And also to, to have like co-commentators who really have that spirit of, you know, we, we, we want to keep, we want to keep it up. We don't want to sit there and brood about like, what's actually the best play. And then you don't say anything for 20 seconds, just so your play can be a little bit more better. Like that's not how it works. And that's not how people at energy see it. And I think that's something I enjoy incredibly much. And I, I wanted to say I want to do it more. I guess I, <laughs> I, I don't know where where I would take the time to, to do it even more from. But yeah, absolutely love doing that. And I mean, that's that's just energy, right? I also do it for for um, basically four seasons. I just did it. I could even imagine myself like skipping the next four seasons as a player and just like almost only doing coverage. I, I'm not sure yet. I still like, I, I love my painter deck. I want to play it. <laughs> but uh, I... I think if I if I had to, I guess it goes into a completely different direction. But because I always think about what do I really enjoy in life? What do I? Because I always think about like, what do I want to do with my life, job wise? And I guess part of that is always like figuring out what do you enjoy. And I think what I enjoy is storytelling. Like if if I ask people, who is Julian? Callum even brought that up on the podcast and, and he gave an example of that. Basically, it always comes down to he's the guy who tells stories, who's a really good storyteller, who likes telling stories. And I like doing that on coverage. And I generally like doing that in life. I want to create something, put it out for an audience to see, and then hopefully gather their positive feedback and, and bring joy to them and see that I brought genuine joy to them. I guess that's also why I was like, when, when I was young, I thought about, do I love to be a movie director? I'd like to like either write movies, direct movies. At some point, I wanted to be a cameraman and stuff like that. That's the biggest kind of joy I can get. I, I honestly think that's the biggest kind of joy I can get. And that's part of that you can find in like doing coverage. Whether you like produce a tournament like the LPL or you do coverage like I do for energy or like in this case for Four Seasons, I absolutely love that. We've talked about this a little bit, just kind of the intersection of magic content and uh, your day job or my day job, right? How, how do you are you, are you thinking about making changes for 2023 or is it just the realities to. of being a full-time magic content creator is just it's just too much i have to absolutely have to we, we've talked about this off stream as well right for for many years but especially right now ever since COVID stopped for those who don't know i should preface this i the easiest way to put it is we are 
are we used to be just a hotel, but by now we are what's mostly known as a tour operator, even though officially we are not, but that's the easiest to put it. We we organize I just had four people climb the Kilimanjaro, like literally Four days ago, they topped out on the Kilimanjaro. Uh, we do safaris. We do uh, anything related to diving, whether you want to learn dive. We do kite surfing. And we, we, we happen to have a hotel in an insanely amazing location in Kenya between the Indian Ocean and, and the lagoon. And like on that peninsula, there you find a hotel. And I went there twice this year for went on safaris and everything. It's, it's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Then again, ever since COVID for the last one and a half years, it's... When it comes to the international business, the international office in Munich, it's really just me. And that fucking sucks because I used to have a colleague and during COVID, she, she quit at the beginning of COVID. But, and then for most of the time, it wasn't that big of a deal because, you know, COVID, everything was down. Our hotel was raided. <laughs> That's a different kind of story. We fought, we got it back. <laughs> and for one and a half years, tourism has completely picked up again. And now you got to imagine it's me, 40 hours. As opposed to previously, she had 30 hours. So we're literally every week, we're missing 30 hours that she used to do. And we haven't hired a replacement ever since. And it's fucking hard, man. Dude, I gained like 20 kilos or something just from the, for, for, for like in, in a year, just from the extra workload. And, and, and it doesn't even stop there. Like literally, I technically this week, I'm on holidays. I already have like so many emails today I, I would need to answer. And like my boss has sent me stuff. And, and it literally can't go on like that other than, you know. Pay is another issue. Uh, I think there's understanding in the company that my pay is too low, but I'm not sure um, I, I can actually get it to where I need it to be, especially like living in Munich. I think that's mm -hmm. that's another thing that's if, yeah. I, I wouldn't mind a complete change. It's just so fucking hard to figure out what you want to do. Like, it's so easy to figure out that you want to change something, but it's so hard to figure out what you want to change it into. I think there's always a danger of like trivializing someone's life for them, right? Because it's easy for me in my vantage point to look at Julian and say like, yeah, obviously you should do it. But then I'm not taking into consideration the actual realities, right? Because it's, it's hard to make a living. And right now in this climate, like if you're, if you have a job, you probably want to hold on to it, right? Because like, there's also this kind of challenge that I always find is like, the grass always seems greener on the other side, but is it, is it really, right? Is it really greener on the other side? Is it, is it actually better? Or are you just facing another set of challenges that may not even be better than the one that you're in now? I mean, obviously you're good at what you do, um, but I definitely, we've definitely had a lot of conversations outside of podcasting where it's like, I just felt like you were, you've just been incredibly overwhelmed by everything. You're stressed the fuck out. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just not healthy right as you mentioned the weight the weight yeah. gain and, th and stuff like that and i i just want to say as a friend i wish the best for you but i i have this bad tendency to also want to problem solve for other people but i have to like pull <laughs> myself back because really like only you know your reality and you know the best way to stay on that or to change on that and it's not really my place to just be like yeah obviously you should just do this or obviously you should just uh -huh. do that it's just it's it's so tough right and i i just hope that i'm just trying to be a better listener and just try to like hear what you're saying mm -hmm. and i'm just hoping the best for you in terms of hoping that you'll find a way to to better your life in some way but i i know it's tough yeah you know? the thing is something i really just picked up on um while we're talking about it it goes back to the issue of perfectionism. And in that area of my life, for as much, I think I found a healthy balance with regards to like magic on content creation and stuff. I, I feel like 
the next step I do, which would be like a different kind of job or, or maybe even moving somewhere else, it needs to be the perfect thing, right? The thing that makes me whole, that, that puts me into a place where like, I, I like being here. I really love this apartment. It took so long to find a place, like finding a place in Munich. I mean, a lot of people can relate, I guess. And now I feel like, oh, if I ever make a change, it must be for the perfect thing. And that's not how it's going to work. But on the other hand, on the other hand, when I look back at my life, it's actually crazy. It's really crazy because there's, the realization of that really only hit me like cast last couple of months. I feel like I've rarely ever actively decided the big things in my life, which you might think, what, what, wait, you're 37 years old. Yeah. So like my path to like school, which is like you, you have three tiers of school in Germany. I went to the highest and then I graduated and then I went to university, a uh, bachelor, master, whatever. I had to do some, some work on the side because military placement service and stuff. Uh, all that kind of stuff was basically decided for me because my parents were like, okay, you're, you're going to go to that school because you do it in fourth grade. It's just like you do what your parents say. And then to me, it was clear, oh, I guess I just go to university and, and yeah, <laughs> it, it, there was never really like a plan. Uh, and even like <laughs> when I look back at like relationships, I, I, I'm not even sure if I ever had a relationship where like I actively went after a girl. It almost feels like almost every relationship I had was like her coming after me and me being like, actually, I really like her. Yeah, let's make this a thing. And in, in so many things, I really feel like I'm so passive in the way I, I, leave my, I, I live my life, except for content creation, except for mm. magic, where I feel like, dude, I really wanted to focus on like making LPL. I really wanted to focus on, on doing uh, Legacy Premier League. That is, I really want to like make everyday journalist because okay, that, that I can feel like very determined and like being, Hey, this is what I do. And this is what, what I want to optimize for. Whereas in, in my private life, fuck, I'm still stuck in this phase of like, Oh, everything needs to be perfect. And if I make a change, it better be for the purpose. In in the end, like yeah, I even talked to somebody who, who like kind of like gave me a job offer. And I was like, on one hand, I think it would be in every way. It would be the better thing. But once again, now I'm in the position where I'm like, Oh, I'm only changing because somebody else like brought this to me. And I'm like, Oh, okay, whatever. Let's do it. And the opposite would be right. I go out mm -hmm. there. I figure out what I want to do. And this is what I go after. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and fuck man, that's hard. This, this is going to sound like really terrible. This is going to be like the Jordan Peterson, like, like right wing bullshit kind of thing. Make it's your like, bed every morning. I do that. By the yeah, way. <laughs> I was not going to say make your bed every morning, but there's this, there's this total like American style discourse, which I've actually outgrown. Cause I was really into that shit. Like a few years ago, to be honest, like, Oh, you know, I, I, you have to take responsibility for all your actions and like make your bed in the morning and like, don't be a victim. And there's what I'm trying to say is that it's very easy to like, just, just say like, you know, seize the day and like these stupid mantras and like, you know, live your life and, productivity hacks or whatever. But I think when we get to our age and I, I'm in your age group, right? It like, it's so much, life is about so much more than that. And, but I do want to caution you because like, you can't, you shouldn't not take the job just because you feel like, mm -hmm. like what I'm trying to say is that actually, sorry, there was a, there was a kind of yeah. a ramble there, but I'm saying that there is some val validity to the idea of like, we have these self-limiting beliefs. This sounds like such a, a right-wing thing to say. Like we have these limiting beliefs and these things are like shackling you, right? Like, I think we, you do have to figure out like what your limiting beliefs are and figure out how to, how to get past that. Because I've had a lot of situations this year where I kind of just realized 
that it was just myself holding me back in the end. Like I shouldn't not do something because of some like misguided mm-hmm. principles or idealism. You know what I mean? Like maybe it's speaking to the perfectionism or anti-perfectionism thing. Yeah. I, I know it almost reminds me of like, like, uh, David Sullen, right? You, you read his book about like how to not be a scrub in fighting games. Like you, you put yes. these conditions upon yourself upon which you will yeah. compete. So you don't have to ever fully expose yourself to your full potential and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's just something we talk about in legacy sometimes where people are like, Oh, I will never play it. I like, I will rather play something else and then I will optimize mm-hmm. for that. But yeah, my, my, if I think about like the limiting stuff that the stuff that's basically limited ever, basically my entire adult life, that's money. It's just money. It's, it's not like I woke, wake up in the morning and I, I worry about it, but there used to be, I've really only stopped worrying about or worrying as much about money in the last year, year-ish, year or two, eh, something mm-hmm. like that. Because before that, it was always like, fuck, like it was the biggest limiting factor for anything I ever did or anything I ever thought about. And, and all, it was like a burden, insane mental and, and existential mm-hmm. burden. And at this point, it's lessened. But it's not anywhere close to what I like. I talk a lot to my peers, and I can speak like about money pretty openly with my friends. And I feel like, dude, this is—I'm just like so fucking far behind the curve right now. And I, I, I understand that, like, when somebody tells me, "Oh, dude, listen, that," I'm like, "Dude, what if it goes wrong?" Like, shit, like. <laughs> what happens then? <laughs> and it, I talked a lot to the people in Kenya, right? Because a lot of my my, my friends in Kenya, they work for the hotel based on the hotel. And you would think that's an amazing life, right? You live at the beach. You like, and when I go there twice a year, like last, like this year, you just like you work at the street bar, at the beach bar with your laptop, and then once your day is done, you just go swimming. It's amazing. It's amazing. Everything is amazing. But then again, when you when I talk to them and I'm like, how do you actually make that work? Because like, what what if anything comes up? Like you have to leave Kenya. I don't know. Hotel gets raided again. You're kicked out. All of them, and I don't. I really don't mean that in a. In a in a chalice or depreciating or any kind of way, all of them tell me, oh, my parents have like this big house here and I can always come back. And like, literally, that's not a thing for me. Like it's, it's almost yeah. the other way around where I have to like, I have to worry about them and not like them being yeah. for me in, in the sense of like, oh yeah, you can always like, you, we got your back. I mean, they will have my back, but there's only so much you can do with limited amounts of money. And when, when they tell me, oh, you just like give up your apartment here, so everything and you come to Kenya. And, and it's going to be great. Maybe, it actually, I mean, there's a good chance it would work out, um, but it's an insane risk. I, I, I'm i right with you. I don't think I've ever talked about this on the podcast before, but I think for the last few years, I've been living under just stress in general from finances. Even now, right? I told you about, like, before the interview recording, I told you about, like, making some career moves based on financial considerations. Like, I honestly live every day thinking about, my finances. Like, I hope people don't get the wrong idea. I'm just some sort of like rich dude. That's just like doing a podcast. And I I even struggle with the whole idea of doing a podcast. This is not making money. So it's like, I I, I'm just like, I have a lot of anxiety about, about what I'm, what Mm -hmm. I need to do. And I'm, I'm married and I need to provide. And there's the whole thing around that as well. I live in an expensive part of the world, just like you do, I I, I assume. And you know, things cost money and it's just like, it's, um, some of it is like self-created, like, you know, for example, getting, deciding to do a part-time EMBA, that doesn't, that costs money. It, so I, I think a lot of things in retrospect, like I'm happy with decisions, but in the moment it still causes me a lot of anxiety and stress, even though, uh, I kind of sign myself, 
up for it. Like I could decide, yes, I could decide to go live in uh, a much cheaper part of the world and, and things like that, but I have not. Therefore I have to deal with the realities of being where I am now. And that's just, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how to express it other than like, it's been, I feel like every year of my life has gotten tougher in some respects, not to be like a woe is me, like, please have pity for James, but it's just like, but the way I kind of rationalize this is also that I am creating challenges for myself and hopefully I don't get destroyed by these things. And if I can get come out of it, then it will have like some benefit down the line that it will be worth it. But um, even this podcast, I don't know if it's going to be worth it, but I'm still doing it because I love it. And, I thought and you were talking like, about this specific episode. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, I mean, I always love talking to you. So that's not that's not the issue. But I, I just mean like general anxiety about 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 this podcast, right? Not, not, not this episode, but God, this is the most rambly I've been in a while. I'm sorry. Uh, it's That's just, okay. It's okay. Yeah. It's just, so again, I'm not trying to problem solve for you, but I just want to let you know that, you know, I, I feel some of that on, on, mm -hmm. on my own level as well. I think from, from my perspective, you really have to, you like in general have to figure out what you enjoy doing and then try to create like your world around that. And part of that is like working out the finances of that. And I've never been the kind of guy who was like, oh, I want to buy, I don't know, like a Porsche or, or like living the fanciest. Like, I, I, yeah, I guess I, I take that if I could get it, but it's, it's not what I, I guess, go back to like, opt that's not what I optimize for, right? I, w I want to live like a lifestyle where if something, something happens, I'm still going to be comfortable and I don't have to worry and I have get, get to like travel the world and like live in, in interesting places and do work that I feel Fulfill. I, I mean, I say that as if it was like the easiest thing in the world, right? Like, no, live in exci exciting places, feel fulfilled by my work. Like a lot of people probably like would want the same and don't get it. So it's not like I'm, I'm feeling like, oh, this is, this is not a lot I'm asking for. I mean, it's, it's a lot I'm asking for, but I, I'm feeling pretty confident to the level of almost feeling like cocky about it, that once I have figured out what I really want to do, I can really put myself onto, onto creating that. And the limiting factor for as much as it always has been money for me will stop being money as once I really figure out what I want to do. And that's so hard, but like, because when, when the offer was made to me to permanently move to Kenya, I was like, yeah, but then you, you stay there for three weeks and you feel like you're really kind of living inside a golden cage. Uh, it's, it's just like how it works. If you, if you live and work from a hotel. So I, I didn't really feel that spark of, oh, I really want to do it. So what else do I want to do? And that's, that's based, this is, this is trying us next time when Julian has figured out what he actually wants to do, because I literally don't know right now, but I know what I'm good at. I know what I like. Uh, people always tell me that I can, I can like really, I can be people insanely excited about stuff. When, when I go to a trade fair, when I give like my presentations, one of the biggest fulfilling things to me is when I come down from the stage and I go to my booth and there's like literally 20 people waiting to speak to me because they want to learn more about Kenya and safari and all that kind of stuff. And I can do that for a lot of things. And of course that would put me in a prime position for any kind of like sales and marketing position, which is the opposite of what I want to do. I want to create, I don't want to sell, I want to create. And that's, that's the pity that I'm in right now. <laughs> <laughs> you so you do have objections to uh being in a sales or marketing role because you're you're kind of doing that unofficially for your role now but you're saying that if you're doing it as your main focus you may not be as into it uh, the, it's basically technically it's my main obligation in, in my current shop even though i do so much okay. more like even like pro like okay. i basically my, I'm, my I'm, bad yeah i misunderstood so yeah yeah i mean you you could easily because i do so much more right I, i'm also like basically the product guy because i i do er anything around our product and even expand it and everything and, and anything really but 
I the 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 thing that has kept me going at this current job is that the product I'm selling is something I'm incredibly passionate about, and that's why I like doing it. Uh, and then again, I also have the the uh, competencies to to like in, expand the scope of the product, like all the like uh, the thing that we send people to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. That's basically just like because I wanted to do that because that I wanted to have that as a product that we sell. Uh, and you basically kind of have the power to make these things happen. You have the kind of influence yeah. or authority. So okay. that kind of gives me a feeling of, hey, I'm creating something. You know, I'm I'm also working on the product, and that that's fulfilling to me. That that if it was only really sales and and marketing stuff, I think it would not be as fulfilling as it is uh, without the the aspect of like also working on the product because that's at the core of what I love to do. If you if I, if I if I were to dream, I would love to just like. Yeah, better video editor and do like video editing full time. It's it's. I did it back in like the first video I ever edited was back in school when I when I edited a video about our graduation class in like thirteenth grade uh, and like a look back and that was only a couple of minutes uh, I believe and uh, the art teacher he even gave me access to to his uh, to his office because my computer at home during the, those weeks was broken and he was like you know what this is the key to the school you just go into my office and then you work on my back then he had like an iMac something super old uh, back then it was brand new I guess and I worked there for like two weeks or something on that video and then was shown on the big screen on graduation with like all the parents and and the whole family, like a couple hundred people in the audience. And you sit there as basically the director <laughs> uh, and the script, the script writer and everything at the very front and it's shown on the big screen. And then people just like start applauding. It's amazing. And fuck, dude, this is amazing. I want more of that. This is like a drug. This is the most addicting thing I've ever had in my life. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to just figure out how to keep doing that, right? Again, I want to avoid the, I feel like I'm already like in the problem solving mode for other people again, but I feel like if that's something you really love, you got to, life is short. You got to figure out a way to do that part-time or in your own time, right? There's no other way to, to put it. Which brings me back to, I just need to earn more money because right now it's, it's part of like my free time is always like trying to find other ways to still make more money and, and that's not good. Like your free time should be your free time, right? And you, you, you should be able to wind down and relax. And it always goes back to like my main job, not paying enough. So I'm trying to find like other hustles and stuff. And, and that's, that's not healthy. And that's, I guess that contributed to, to me being so unhappy about the last, especially one and a half years. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I'm more positive about this than I was like half a year or even a year ago. And now, now we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I'm still trying to figure it out. I always feel like I know I have the answer. I always make, I always sound like I have the answers, but I don't. I just want to make that super clear. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And nobody really does, honestly. I, I mean, this year I had to like let go of some of my limiting beliefs. Like, cause I was just, I, I asked you about that because I was also just kind of scared to do new things. Like, I think, I think I, I mentioned finances being like a, a fear of mm -hmm. mine because it is anxiety, it is fear. The other thing for me is just like, and I talked about this just, just like yesterday, cause I recorded a, a year in retrospective for humans of magic, whatever. Right. And I think fear of doing new stuff. I always have that. I remember this year, like there was a big moment that involved you this year, actually. Like you told me that my YouTube thumbnails oh. sucked <laughs> and it's so true, but I just have this fear of like, 
it's almost like a fear. I almost have like, I think it's just, I won't get into all the details, but I, I think the way I've kind of grown up and lived my life, I, I have, I'm, I can be very defensive about things. So it's like when you first told me about the thumbnails and how they suck, my first reaction was just, I was very defensive. Like, oh, you know, like I'm, you know, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't have that much <laughs> time to make that, it yeah. better. Or, or, you know, when I, we used to talk about like competitive magic, like, oh, you know, it'd be great just to like top eight and then I can just stop playing magic online. And I was just like, I feel like I, I, I'm creating these sort of barriers for myself because I don't want to like go too deep into it. Cause I'm kind of scared about like, if I go deep into mm -hmm. it and I don't make, if I stop making excuses for myself, then I'll have nothing to fall back on. Right. It's, it's kind of like, mm -hmm. it's very human nature. It's very, very human, but like. But then when you told me my thumbnails sucked and then I started just like learning more about how to like use better fonts and like better shading or whatever the fuck it is. And I just, I mean, I, I my thumbnails still suck, but <laughs> they're a little bit better than they used to be. I'm just saying like, and that was a big level up moment for me this year. Like actually this thumbnail comment you had where you, we trust each other enough where you can give me real feedback. Mm -hmm. And, but I was not able to take the feedback initially, but then I thought about it after like a few days or weeks or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I really do suck at thumbnails. I really do need to get better because I can't keep making excuses for myself. Like I made excuses for myself by not getting to YouTube when I should have, which is like, you know, five years ago or whatever. Right. <laughs> um, and now I'm doing it, but I feel very guarded. Like we were even talking, we were even talking before this interview about like, I'm still using iMovie and I, I, I probably should be moving on. And it's just like, and I, I'm just scared to like do things. It's not like I'm really scared, but it's just like, I know once I go into that new thing, I need to start to learn it. It takes time yeah. and opportunity costs. So it's always, I can always talk myself I mean, out of doing something. So that's, that's, that's tough. It's pragmatism uh, once, once again, because as long as iMovie works for exactly what you want to do, there's only so much reason to really like, for example, learn Adobe Premiere, which of course gives you a skill set that you can now use beyond this this interview setup that we have right here right now, right? But if you if if there's some spark in you where you feel like I want to do more, I want to be able to do more, then you have to figure out right, is it worth the time investment? I mean, that's it's so obvious to anyone, I guess, is it worth the time investment? But in, in the end, it's 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 the one thing that really matters because, you, like you said, life life is not endless. Yeah. And, and I remember one of my first comments to you when you told me my thumbnail sucked, I was just like, Julian, that's not important because I don't even get like, <laughs> YouTube I, don't even get, like I don't even get this many views on YouTube. So even if I master the thumbnail, it would only be like 20% better than more clicks than what I have right now, which is still a really small base. And maybe there's some validity to that, but, it, but I have to fight that urge because it's also, I also have this like, if I'm doing it, I might as well try to do the best mm -hmm. in the best way possible. Right. It's kind of just like a way of living life. It's kind of like, I'm already here. I'm already playing magic. So why not try to play the best I can? It's like, I can't just, I can't, I shouldn't just play magic and just be happy to play. Right. Like, I'm just, I, I, I also mean, know that I'm happy. not, I'm not, that's not my, how my mind works. So maybe it works better for somebody else. So, <laughs> I mean, you, when you say play magic, almost it almost sounded like play the game of content creation and magic. I mean, that's I think that's what you're really into, right? Yes and no, and that's also been challenging for me. Is like I kind of stepped too far away from actually playing the game of magic this year. Oh, that's and exciting! That's, that's actually super exciting to hear. 
Did you say, I, I feel like I need to go your, back to that. Your trajectory, yeah. ever since I've known you, is like further and further and further away from like the super competitive James that, that you wrote his, where is it? Over here, Magic the Addiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it it's But when you tell me that hard, you, you feel yeah. like you've, you've, you, you, you went too far from, from playing Magic, And I feel like, oh, there's, there's, you know, there's a turnaround. That's exciting. Like, that, now the I, trend discontinues. I, I feel like I need to get back to actually enjoying Magic the game. Enjoying. Okay. Uh, okay. Yes. Uh, playing and enjoying it. Uh -huh. um, because I felt like there... I was basically the... Yeah? I was basically the frustrated legacy player who this year moved into other formats because I, like, Modern and Pioneer, because I felt like there was nothing intrinsically special about legacy's identity anymore because of the influx of new cards like from modern horizons and commander sets but what i realized recently actually and i think it was actually unlocked by talking to a friend about this the problem is not with magic the problem is with me right like it's not it's not wizards it's not the ban list it's not these new cards it's like i And I think this, the reason why I'm saying this is because I feel like I will have this problem eventually with any magic format I play. It's like, if, if I play enough modern, I'll feel similarly about how I'm frustrated about other things. or I'm frustrated about this format. And I think in the end, I have to actually make peace with myself. And so what I come to realize is that me like going away from magic because of my frustrations with certain formats, it's actually my problem. Like there's it's my own limiting beliefs about magic. I'm trying to see magic as something which it isn't. It's kind of like, you know, I don't know, like, I, I don't know what the analogy is. Like, it's like when you have these like false beliefs about activities or hobbies, but you kind of realize that in the end, like that's what the thing is. And you better just accept it if you want to, if you mm -hmm. want to enjoy it. And I, I don't know. I, I, I think I could easily talk myself out of just doing magic, playing magic entirely, but I want to go back into it because I think there's still like fun things about the format and being part of that community that I felt I was distancing myself too, too much from this year. So I think when people are, are somewhat or pretty frustrated with, let's say, example, for example, legacy or especially legacy, I think it's always super interesting to learn what context they play the format in. Are you the person who passively consumes a lot of like, let's say streams, podcasts, uh, but rarely ever gets to play? Or are you the kind of person who plays like just your local, you know, like we have Tuesday night gatherings uh, that I'm skipping tonight for you. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Oh, dude, it's okay. <laughs> And it, it, it depends on where you come from, right? I think if you, if you are very passive and you rarely ever get to play, I think you probably like suck up a lot of negativity because that's just like very prevalent and very easy to suck up on the internet. And but I think I, that's what happened. I think I just needed to get out of the house yeah. and play more magic. And honestly, this year it's been hard to get out of the house, uh, from yeah. where I was in China. So that, I think that contributed to part of that. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I can imagine <laughs> because for me, I can, once again, only speak from my own experience, but whenever I felt like somewhat frustrated, except for the dig through time example I talked about, something that always made me happy is just like going to local events, just like going to a Tuesday night, play a couple of games. Even if your deck is underpowered, you're probably not going to play against a super deck that you really hate right now. And even in the big tournaments, because Paper Legacy is once again 
when, when we keep talking about this, and any kind of content creator will probably attest to that, Paper Legacy is so different from, from Magic Online Legacy just because Magic Online Legacy is so fluid. Uh, and I say that, as I earlier mentioned, that White Initiative was the second most played deck in <laughs> North America. But I guess once yeah. you get to like a somewhat smaller level, uh, it's it's so diverse. We just had a top eight at the Etcetera Legacy Tournament that had, I want to say, no brainstorm in the top eight. And those events are like still reasonably competitive. Like we we have even like we have GP winners, Legacy GP top eighters and stuff play in those events. Uh, but even if we didn't, doesn't matter. It's still like an environment with like forty to fifty people where you would probably play up against a different deck every single round. And that's that's why most of the people who are there go there. I see a lot of people who used to travel internationally and be like at all the big events, but now they either have like a family or a job that that's more demanding. But that's still their outlet. You know, once a month they come to et cetera and they play six rounds and it's fun. And then you, you know, maybe you have dinner together and then you go home and the community is such a big aspect aspect of, of enjoying that. And I feel that's one of the most fulfilling things. And especially during lockdown, when, when things are right after the lockdowns that we had, when things started happening again, I really fully grew to understand how much I really enjoy that. And just like hanging out on a Tuesday night and playing. Yeah, I think I rediscovered the fun of Magic this year by playing in some paper events. Uh, it was really the RCQs, right? So I played in a couple of modern and pioneer RCQs, um, and they were so much fun. They were very competitive. And it was just like, you know, actually going to a tournament with a friend and being able to, like, watch them play and talk about Magic between rounds and just not because that was one thing I really didn't like about Magic Online, and that's kind of why I stepped away from Magic Online this year. Is like it felt very much like it incentivizes just tryharding. Like mm -hmm. for my personality, playing as well as possible or playing to win, because there's no other reason to play Magic Online. There's no reason to grind leagues or challenges unless you want to actually. Well, I mean, for leagues, I I was actually playing leagues actually to practice for RCQ, so that was a good reason to play leagues was like to practice right to to practice matchups so that's like a good tool for that but like i i just saw no reason to play challenges because like i had to stay 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 at home for the entire weekend mm -hmm. and it was very like it's not a plus cv thing for me because like i'm not very honestly i'm not very good i feel like i still haven't got to the level i need to probably play in more of them and just take more shots but um playing paper like and actually be able to interact with people. And uh, I had a, a friend who worked at the LGS who actually lent me decks so I could play in the RCQs because I didn't own all the cards. Uh, that was really that was really nice. It was really nice to like have that interaction. And it was really weird because I always kind of prided myself as being cold and robotic, as you can <laughs> hear from my interviews from like two years ago, three years ago. I, I always felt like I didn't need the social aspect of Magic. But this year was kind of a wake-up call where it's just like, I really do need it. And I think it actually took the Shanghai lockdown to to make me see that, which is kind of sad, but that's the way it is. Oh, I wouldn't call that sad. Like, that's a great discovery about yourself then. Like, it kind of pushed me to the brink where I, I, I did feel like I needed it. Because, like, before I really was mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm... Everybody I'm really needs it. Like, I think maybe there's some people who need it to a lesser degree and some need it to a, to a larger degree. But overall, it, it just makes the game what it is. Yeah, I mean, and, honestly, and, uh, like, if imagine imagine a world where Magic only existed on Magic Online, and, and like the the user interface and the economics and all that kind of stuff. I mean, Daybreak Games has made the economics better. They they made like a lot of super expensive cards more approachable. But 
in the grand scheme of things, if Magic had only ever existed on Magic Online and never, you know, been a paper game, I don't think it would be like it would be like the super niche thing that would have probably like died out at some point. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I. <laughs> I, I guess you can maybe understand because you, you've also been following the events of China and we've talked, but I just feel like, man, this, this year just changed me as a person. Like it just completely changed how I see mm -hmm. everything, not everything. just magic, everything. Like how I, like I was really, I don't know. I just, I'll give you an example, right? Like, I think I was really like, I was really connecting with my business school classmates and I was really into that whole, like, you know, networking and like real friendships real mm -hmm. connections but i think a part of that just kind of died this year with the lockdown like now that things have been a little bit back to normal i've just been just sort of more removed from it i i don't know what it is i maybe i think my priorities just kind of change i think now it's just for me it's just like friends and family and uh work and staying healthy and doing this podcast. Like that's all I care about. And, um, like some of the other things I've just, I just don't see them as important anymore. I don't know what happened to me. maybe it just takes me time to get out of this kind of like trauma that I was part of like living in China this year. I mean, I don't know. I guess Sorry, it sounds really serious. No, no, no. It's, 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 I mean, technically you, you would think, okay, that's a good thing, right? He cares about friends and family and, and that kind of stuff. But honestly, I mean, I think a lot of people are like that and that's that's what they want from life and especially once you have children i think that takes it just like to a very next level like even i i on a quote unquote like I only have two nieces like not childs of my own but still i love them so much and i already see what that like does to me um i mean both as far as i know both of you and i don't have children yet but i i think you you certainly are the kind of guy who will always want something more you know to 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 either apply yourself in some kind of way or, or gather new experiences that for me, the, the new experiences thing is the biggest thing. Um, like traveling, seeing the world, uh, meeting new people, one of the most refreshing things. And I think you would love that too. One of the most refreshing things when I went to Kenya was we just like, we went outside the hotel, we went to different bars and then of course you, you notice, okay, those are foreigners as well. And, and, um, sometimes you, you talk, Hey, what brings you to Kenya? What brings you to Kenya? And then you, you hear like their life stories, what they used to do. And you talk about what you do and that's it's one of the most uh inspiring things i literally can't phrase it in any other way and by the way you know you remember when i came to beijing in 2019 end of 2019 right before COVID, when i came back i have never felt more inspired in my entire life because i met so many amazing interesting people and mm -hmm. i guess then COVID happened and all of that was like squished and <laughs> like okay whatever but yeah. i think traveling and meeting new people and, and get, i guess that's to a certain degree that also happened when you went to to your business school right where you met so many interesting people who had like came from all walks of life and did all kinds of things but from what you told me those were not like students but people who already had their own business right so that's even more yeah. interesting stuff to talk about so mm -hmm. I, I could very much see that if if now I'm the guy problem solving, right? If you put yourself <laughs> out there to new experiences, and I guess you you are, I think you posted out about that on Twitter, right? You were in LA and I, maybe you went back to Vancouver and stuff. Uh, I could very much see you you getting insanely inspired by meeting new people and doing that. Yeah, I hope so. I think it's happening. I think I'm slowly coming out of the, the shell that I created for myself this year. And... Uh... Yeah, man. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm trying. I'm trying. We're all trying to try to figure out. If you if you love legacy and you're dissatisfied, 
we, we talked about this earlier. Literally just go out there and try to make proxy events happening at, at your place. And maybe it's not going to be big. If you want any kind of, you know, advice, talk to Callum, talk to me. There's a lot of people who, who do that. We, we'll be happy to talk because I, I have seen what this does to a local community and how, how reinvigorated our local scene has become ever since we did that. We, because we had like this really dry spell where the LGS wouldn't do legacy anymore. And of course, uh, legacy deck cost yeah. a couple thousand. So it's literally like this. We have no special abilities. I wasn't even like them at all involved in, in making the thing. It was like local players who, who didn't have like any kind of special superpowers. Like, you, you know, when, when you see people who create something, you feel like, oh, they, you know, they must have something, right? So they, they either have like a lot of money or... I don't know, connections. Like, no, it's literally just like local guys who, who started running their own legacy tournaments because there was no there was no supply, but there was a lot of demand. So we just went out there and did that. So I think if, if we can keep pushing that and keep pushing the proxy movement, that's that's something I, I'm very, very that's very close like very dear to my heart. And I, I would do as much as I can to support. If you need shout outs on a podcast for your event, even if it's just like a ten people event, I don't fucking care. Just send me a message. And, and we shout it out on the podcast. I appreciate that. So, um, Julian, it's been awesome talking to you. And uh, I hope that the next time we, re we record, I think we will both be in a better place mentally, at least. Uh, maybe the, the trend other is positive. Not... That's always like when t people talk to trend me about, about... Trending, yeah. trending positive. Yes. Yeah. I hope that we can all level up in our own respective ways just to make this kind of a positive positive message after me complaining to you for 20 minutes straight here uh and uh yeah i just i just wish you the best man i know we're recording this at year end 2022 20, 20, and uh i think it's, it's also 2022 for you <laughs> for both of us and i i i just can't say i, I just want to put it out there like thank you for continuing to inspire me Oh, uh, dude, this is I, other, it's actually the other way around. <laughs> this podcast, just so people know, if you if you made it this far listening to us talk, Humans of Magic would not have existed without Julian. And Humans of Magic would not continue to exist were it not for Julian's incredible influence on me as a as a friend. Um the the reason why you're listening to this, whatever the episode number this is, is because of Julian. It, it's it's that simple. Like Julian was the person that made me do this fucking thing in the first place and thank you julian Dude, i i'll take those flowers but i mean if, if my influence is like one percent you still put out like how many hundred episodes by now i think that's that's still very much your thing <laughs> don't give me too much credit but i really you, appreciate you help it. me you help me started uh, you deserve your flowers like it, it's more than one percent it's more like 80 percent or 90 percent to push me into doing it in the first place yeah. otherwise we would not be here so thank you so much uh julian and i hope you have a good holiday you too james everybody thank you for tuning in and wishing you and your wife all the best man thanks